0: You are listening to episode 167 of the Mad Chatters podcast, December 6th, 2017.
1: Most everyone's mad here.
0: Welcome back to another episode of the Mad Chatters Podcast, your very important date with the happenings at Walt Disney World and around the Disney Universe. My name's Derek, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Matthew. Bingo! And today we're joined by a special guest co-host. He's the author of Hocus Pocus and Focus, and... The Thinking Fans Guide to Walt Disney World, Magic Kingdom, and most recently Epcot, it's Aaron Wallace.
2: Hey, thanks for having me back on. Great to be here.
0: Well, good. I'm glad it's good to be here because we are excited for you to fill in. We needed you and you came in clutch. So uh, why don't you tell our listeners what have you been up to?
2: Oh, gosh. What have I been up to? Uh, I have been going holiday crazy, like to the point that it's almost stressful, but it's the best kind of stress because I love celebrating the holidays and living here in Orlando. There's so much happening in theme parks and just locally around town. So I'm just cramming in like as much Disney Halloween slash Thanksgiving slash Christmas as possible. And it's awesome. but stressful.
0: And uh, Jeremy, Matt and I will be able to do some of that with you next week. And we're super excited about it.
2: I am so stoked for that. Yeah,
0: it's going to be so cold, though. I mean, relatively speaking, but I, I was looking at Friday and it's like high in the 50s. What?
2: Uh, yeah, that is something that we in Florida form prayer circles for and wish for all year <laughs> long. So,
0: <laughs> Well, you should have prayed for it for a different time. Uh, <laughs> I came in February and it was 80. So I don't my body and my spirit are not prepared for this. All right, well, let's kick off this episode with a round of the good, the bad, and the ugly.
1: This is a segment where we uh, take an aspect of Walt Disney World, and it could be an attraction or a show or just really anything. And uh, we give our three choices that fit these three categories, good, bad, and ugly. And as always, we must specify that bad means that we wouldn't necessarily get rid of it, we just think that it needs a lot of improving. So um, just so we can stay relevant on our pop culture references, we call it the good, the bad, the ugly, even though it's just really the good needs work and ugly. All right, so what are we talking about today? Today, as I say, we talk about many different aspects of Walt Disney World. And this is a a fairly unique one, I must say. And it is Walt Disney World Attraction Loading Zones. So, where you step foot onto the attraction vehicle. Can I just start with my good? Because I don't want it to get taken. (laughs) Yeah. Don't roll your eyes at me. It is Pirates of the Caribbean. And only because it features one of the coolest for whatever reason, I think it's one of the coolest things in Walt Disney World. And that's the little open cave diorama that looks as if you're looking out onto the sea at night and there's a little pirate ship off in the distance and the moon is shining in the sky. So simple, but just such a nice little touch that adds just a, a little level of uh, coolness that they didn't have to do, but it's, it's wonderful. Uh, just on top of that... The whole idea that you're, you know, you're coming out of this fortress or on one side coming out of kind of caves on the other side, uh, boarding the boat. I think it was when you and I and Aaron and Ruben, when was that? We were riding and it was the first time I noticed the skeleton um, face, like as you're taking off out of the actual channel and you kind of, you know, set sail into the water up where the control panel is, where you can see the people is like one of the eyes. It was the first time in all my visits to Walt Disney World on my favorite attraction that I ever noticed that. But it's a huge skeleton face, kind of at a slant. Uh, but there's just so many things about this to, to love. Like it feels like you're outside, you have the wonderful lamps, the music's playing, the uh, the voices up in the cavern that they've kind of had working a lot lately. Um, as you're coming off the one side, you can hear the voices in the cave digging and singing the song. It's just a great
0: loading zone. I agree. In fact, that skull face, which, as you said, like the control panel, control panel is one of the eyes, and you can kind of see the mouth underneath them. And then once you see it, you can't unsee it. Like it's very clearly yeah. a skull. Uh, that was actually the reason that this was my good as well. It's oh. It's perfectly dark in there with just enough light with the little lanterns that they have hanging above you. There are the barrels stacked up. Just everything about this loading area. Uh, gives you the perfect preview of what's to come, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. But I'll switch mine since you picked that one. My, my runner-up is Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. Mmm, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the newest attractions in Walt Disney World, so it should be good. Like, you kind of expect that from the Imagineers. But even just the way the gates that open up in front of you are themed, like they have that kind of rustic wooden look... And then you've got the pickaxes pick all around, and just everything in that room is detailed to a T. And it's so, I mean, we use the word charming a lot, but it really is very charming for a, a for an attraction theme to the Seven Dwarfs, you
1: know? Yeah. Music in there is good too. It's like a little medley of the, the dwarves. Like, I think the dwarves are, it sounds, it's songs from Snow White, but in the style of. A happy song or the, the little yodeling song they do
0: yeah and it's a shame because details like that like go unnoticed because at that point you just want to get on the attraction you know or like you're so stressed about how many are in our party where are we supposed to stand but if you're willing to take the time there really are some great details to be noticed
2: there's that blast of cold air uh, right yes. when you walk up to the loading area there too I, It's just like it drops 10 degrees in temperature and I love that it gives you that sense of that you you know you are in a mine you've kind of uh, lowered your elevation you feel the colder air and it's a great effect mm-hmm. it's dank <laughs> yeah
1: I appreciate the black lighting on that back wall where some of those um, the animated like axes and saws and things are kind of hanging mm-hmm there's just a very, you know, small amount of black light to give it that wonderful dark ride
2: um, look on the back. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I those are both great picks. I went with a show instead of ride, which I hope is okay, but I do think of it as a loading area. Uh, and it's the American Adventure, and I guess it's uh, hard maybe to define where the loading area begins. So I'm not going to count, you know, Voices of Liberty or the Kinsey collection or any of that, because I think that's all probably pre-show or cue. But specifically riding up the escalator uh, into the show. So at this point, you know, the cast member, uh, Lonnie or whoever it is, has already given his introductory spiel and and welcomed you into the attraction. And you go up the escalator and, uh, you know, you've got all the, the historical state flags. And it's just this really, I think, epic um, introduction. I can't think of any other show where the boarding process makes a statement like that. That's interesting. You scoffed when I said Lonnie. I did. But, but he's, he's a very well-known cast member. Like, he's been working that attraction since day one. He's there almost every day.
0: Oh, my word. I just thought you made up the name, and Lonnie was the first one you thought of.
2: <laughs> no. no. He's like a local celebrity. Lonnie. What does Lonnie, he,
1: what does Lonnie do? Is he the one that makes the announcement? Or does he yeah. like the...
2: So he he stands outside the building, like inviting people in, and then uh, when it's time to load, right before you go up the escalator, he's the one who gets on a little microphone and says, "You know, welcome to the American Adventure," and all that.
0: Huh. Well, thank you, Lonnie. He's
2: he's a little little old man. You okay. probably recognize.
0: Him. Okay. Him yeah, I'll look out for him. All right. Well, that takes us to the bad. My bad
1: actually comes from my second favorite attraction, and that is the Haunted Mansion, and. Um, I just, something about the loading zone just needs a little bit of help when you come out of the stretching rooms and you've been, you've been kind of set up for the, uh, you know, the experience by that, you know, quote unquote pre-show that the loading zone kind of sucks a little bit of that out. And, and there's a couple of reasons why they've made it brighter in there. And whatever, somebody must have fallen or whatever. You, you can't see people. It seems a lot brighter than it used to be in there, which takes away from some of the uh, spookiness, obviously. Um, everything I say sim- seems to sound like it's targeting a safety procedure. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> the, the, the light they have used to kind of light the moving sidewalk seems – just maybe I don't remember when these changes took place, but it's like a super white – Kind of fluorescent light that lights the transition from the carpet to the to the moving sidewalk. Other than that, the audio in here—you can't even hear what the ghost host is saying. Once you get kind of—and this is due to people talking too loud for one—but if you notice that's a problem, it seems like you would turn it up because you can't hear the whole. And now a carriage approaches to take you in the bound into the boundless realm of the supernatural. You can't hear any of that because uh, it's just so low. And so that whole little area just kind of has lost its pre-show element that it should have, uh, mainly because of the brightness, and you just can't hear what what's actually taking place. A lot of the show elements are lost.
0: Okay, you sold me. When you first said Honda Mansion, I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" whoa. Because yeah. the the theming in that loading area is terrific, in my opinion. But I see what you mean where other elements that they've had to add have taken away from that. For me, the worst thing is just the corral factor of everybody being shoved in there at one time and trying to narrow narrow yourselves down to one straight, single-file line. yeah, definitely takes you out of that Haunted Mansion mood.
1: Yeah, because it's just bottlenecks. I mean, there's no... no, I I don't know if there's a way to fix it without moving some switchback lines in there, but... Ever when a stretching room opens, it's like you just get herded in there, and it's a bottleneck to get into the little, the one little switchback there is before you get onto the d- doom buggy.
0: Mm-hmm. For my pick, I'm gonna take us over to an attraction whose queue we have made fun of many times: Toy Story Mania. Mm. The queue, whatever. I mean, it's just kind of tacky and kind of cheap looking. That's fine. I mean it's it's not but whatever but you get to the loading area and i actually really like the tinker toys they have set up above you those are those kind of i think the lights are connected to that so so it gives you like they kind of serve a purpose as well as looking really neat because they're life they're giant sized tinker toys but then yeah. around you is andy's bed but instead of being like a hard set you know, where you go under a physical bed. Like, it's painted on the wall. Yeah. I just think that's so cheap. That's such a cheap way out. And the reason that it's not my ugly is because I do like a lot of the elements. Like, I like the idea of going downstairs, you're being, you're under his bed. Like, you see, what's it called? The part of the wall that goes up about waist high, and it's, like, panels. You know what I mean? And then above that is just the painted wall in a normal room.
1: Um... Not baseboards.
0: Well like like where the chair rail is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. that's above your head. So like you know, you're quote unquote shrunk down to a size of a toy. Shrunk <laughs> down size
1: of a toy, yeah.
0: Of course. So so I get it and I like what they're trying to do. And again again the tinker lights the tinker toys I love. I also like how it's the, the midway mania entrance looks like a big cardboard box that's been opened up for you to go inside. But it's just the whole outside that's just painted on the wall kinda like a cheap school play. You know, like, oh, the backdrop is a bed, so let's paint it. (sighs) They just could've, they could've done so much more. Yeah, now that you say that,
1: I had to sell you on mine, you had to sell me on yours, because compared to the queue, I guess, I I like the loading zone. But the things that you like are the things I like, and the things that you don't like are the things I don't like. And I do wish they would've spent a little more time, you know, going further with this idea that you're in andy's room rather than just you know slapping some stuff on the wall and yeah pretending like that conveys the idea
2: i'm having i'm struggling to even visualize what you're talking about it's been that long since i've written toy story mania and i'm very much okay with that so i'm on board with that choice <laughs> okay uh my bad uh pick is journey into imagination with figment and you know, I, I do appreciate that when you walk in, it's it's sort of bright and colorful, and I think that cues you know, yeah, hints at the whimsy that is to come, but it's all very plastic. Uh, so it also hints at the cheapness that is to come. And where it really suffers, I think, is in comparison to what came before uh, the original Journey into Imagination uh, boarding area where you had this gorgeous uh, mural on the wall and then you boarded the vehicle on this revolving turntable that then took you into the mural uh, where you would meet the Dreamfinder, And so you really felt like you were traveling into uh, this, this gorgeous work of art, uh, which was its itself very sort of you know, early Epcot Center uh, and to remember that uh, and it was in a big open space too you know and so now you walk into this comparatively small room and like I said it's all just very plastic and sort of one note um, it just feels like a downgrade
0: yeah uh, I, I agree I agree I never wrote the original. And also I think the attraction itself is so underwhelming that it's it's hard for me to critique the loading area all that much but I can't disagree with any of that definitely.
2: Yeah, another thing is they're they're really big on warning you there about removing your hats and glasses and I think if you're a first time guest that sets up an expectation, like something here is really gonna blow off my hats and glasses and yeah. I know they have that one blast of air in mind, but I really can't imagine anything leaving anybody's head in that attraction. <laughs> no.
0: I mean the a very similar spiel is given that Big Thunder Mountain and those are two very different <laughs> yeah. attractions. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um that is my ugly
0: ah. to imagination. Oh.
1: Yeah, and perhaps because I mean the whole attraction to me uh it belongs in that that category and ugly of course in our context meaning that this actually needs to go um so it's (laughs) in this context it's hard for me to see how the loading zone goes without the whole attraction going so let's just throw the whole thing in there Um, For the same reasons you have said, except I don't want them to improve the loading zone because I don't want them to keep the ride. So I would rather them both just go away. So this goes into my ugly category for all the same reasons. Um, I've always likened Journey to Imagination these days to the Hershey Chocolate Factory tour in Hershey Park in Pennsylvania, which is kind of like an indoor dark ride kind of thing. And it's very much like this. Just and the loading zone reminds me of that with the with the stupid kind of minimalist logos, um, the senses on the wall, and it's, I mean, it's, it's very much what it is. Very clinical, and like you're in a laboratory, and it's like this. It it's nothing inviting about it. It feels like you're getting on an attraction
0: in your high school. I, I can't believe I'm doing this. I think I'm gonna have to defend Journey into Imagination because. I feel like what you see in the queue leads pretty smoothly into the loading area, like the bright colored, brightly colored walls and the sort of laboratory feel.
1: Is it, do you want the attraction, is is the attraction not terrible? It's, (laughs) it's definitely (laughs) near the bottom of my list. Okay, so this, I mean, do you want
0: it to stick around? Oh, no. Okay, then this is ugly. Okay. Are you, are you like hoping by putting it out into the universe that Disney will take note?
1: Whatever that means. But like, yeah, um, the fact that it's the fact that the cheapness of the loading zone fits with the cheapness of the ride does not make
0: the loading zone better to me. Ah, good point. <laughs> good point. Yeah,
1: that is not a defense.
0: All right. Well, I'll take us over to my pick for Ugly. It's the mini adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, It's a dark ride. I get that. So I get the flat sets, like the the storybook pages, you know, with the writing on them. I get it. It's just a dark ride. But my thing is, if you're going to go to such lengths to make the queue really immersive, for lack of a better word, like you've got trees and wooded areas and then all these games and stuff, and then you go back to a 2D flat loading area... I just feel like they're sending mixed signals, maybe. Like, why couldn't you do a sort of 100-acre wood all throughout the queue and the loading area until you round that first corner on the attraction? I just think that would make such a difference. But, uh, I don't know. I mean, because obviously Peter Pan has the same type thing, where it's just a very flat loading area because it's a dark ride. But that kind of fits with the rest of the queue and it fits with the attraction. But I feel like the loading area for Winnie the Pooh is like a step back, from what they've done with the queue,
1: yeah, no, it is. No, it always has been. It's it's flat and non. It's just it's non-charming in the least, which fits to me now with the rest of the ride as well. But
2: I don't know. Yeah, it lacks any character. Whimsy. That's interesting. I never thought about in the sense of going for something that's like three-dimensional and interactive to something that's flat and not that makes sense I always love that it sort of invites us to think about the literary origins of Winnie the Pooh and sort of like think about the way that the ride will illuminate the text or the original story so yeah you know, in given that Fantasyland is so like literary um very seldom do we see something that like explicitly calls our attention to that and I love that Um, those pages do that but I do think you're right that it's weird to go from three-dimensional to two-dimensional and then back to sort of two and a half dimensional (laughs) within the ride itself
0: and I'm with you about the literary thing I've always loved those pages and I still love them And I want to be a part of it but if you could also somehow tie in 100 acre wood there instead of just just being like that little fence in front of you and then all of a sudden the honeypot comes around the corner and you're like oh here's the ride okay Uh, you can meet, meet us halfway I guess is what I'm saying
2: Imagine storybook pages like blowing in the wind, like by you. That would be cool. That would be cool. Let's do it. Yeah. If
0: it was no, but it's it's
1: not even the the fact that it's pages. It's how they did it with just like that that flat, the flat look. I don't mind like if it was like book spines or like a bookshelf or something like that. It's the lighting. It's just you know. It's just like the standard like soft white like rah, Yeah. Here's the books, and and just
0: kind of cheaply cheaply made yeah 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 (laughs) we get so sad when we get to the ugly section we're like
2: (laughs) yeah yeah Um, (laughs) uh my choice for ugly is the tomorrowland speedway uh i mean everything about the attraction would qualify as ugly but in particular when you're boarding, it's noisy, just the worst kind of loud and noisy, the smell of of the cars themselves, Uh, the sun that reflects off the metal bleachers, uh, where rarely people are actually waiting. And if they are, you feel bad for them because you know how hot it has to be to be sitting there on that metal. And then that just makes me start thinking about how hot I am standing here. Mm-hmm. It's just such a miserable experience. And then to know that it's all for an attraction that's not going to pay off or make it all worth <laughs> the while in any way. Uh, it's just, it, speaking of depressing, that's, that's what comes to mind when I'm waiting there. I still don't understand
1: why you would even be in that situation. I think I've done it <laughs> once. I think I've done it once in my entire life, and it was two years ago because I was with people who just really wanted to do it. Other than that,
0: never, never do it. I mean, who can argue with that pick? Yeah. Yeah. It's the background music, the things unseen. It's the hidden gems and things in between. Though perhaps hard to spot, we sure love them a lot. It's the small things after all. It's the small things after all is a segment in which we talk about those little gems, those little Hidden details at Walt Disney World that the average first-timer might not notice. But after years of going to Walt Disney World, after many visits, we have come to love and appreciate these little details. And we're each going to share a pic of ours right now. Uh, I'll kick us off. So, uh, knowing you two, as I do, I think I know the answer to this question. But have you ever met Mickey and Minnie at the Adventurers Outpost in Animal Kingdom? No. I
2: have once.
0: Okay. So they redid this, I I don't know, three or four years ago. And as you wait in line, there are pictures on the wall of Mickey and Minnie in their safari outfits. And each picture is of them in a different location as if they've traveled the world and had someone take their photograph. So there's one of them like holding hands in front of a, a... like a Chinese temple. Uh, There's one that I love. It's the backs of their heads as if someone behind them has taken a picture and they're on a safari, like pointing at an elephant. So you just see their ears sticking out of their safari hats behind them. Uh, There are other places. Most of them are Indian or or, are in India or Asia. I mean, that is Asia. Or um, (laughs) Africa. So there's very much an animal kingdom tie-in. But they're just like the, they're just little pictures on the wall. Like they could have put anything there. They could have bought some wall art from, you know, Ross or something and (laughs) put it in there. But they didn't. That's Via Napoli. (laughs) Yeah, that's Via Napoli. Uh, But uh, no, they didn't. They uh, used some expert Photoshopper to make these really cool images. And I I love it. It's a cool little detail.
1: Uh, Yeah, I've never been in there to concur with you. So, and I probably won't. So I'll believe you.
0: I'll send you a picture.
1: Maybe we'll take Anna to meet Mickey and Minnie there.
0: Yeah, it's never a long wait. No. What used to be there? Was it always that? I don't know. I remember it being a big deal when they built, or when they made it the Adventurer's Outpost, but I don't know.
2: Yeah, that's new. I don't think it was a meet and greet before, but I can't remember what they used that space for. Okay. My small thing is
1: really a small thing and God help me I don't know what this is actually called but it's the it's, it's in Norway and uh, one of the few things that was not few things thankfully it was untouched by the frozen overhaul um, but it is the roof of the Kringla bakery and the uh, the adjacent like seating area that is that traditional Scandinavian like grass roof. Um, like there's an actual, (laughs) there's there's an actual lawn, like turf on top of the roof. And now I'm going to have to figure out what it's called. Scandinavian grass roof. It's called a sod roof and a traditional Scandinavian type of green roof covered with sod on top of several layers of birch bark on gently sloping wooden roof boards. So I don't know if it's just a cultural statement or like an architectural thing, or maybe it was once used for like some kind of primitive insulation or something like that. But it's cool that it's there, and you could just put your goats up there, and they'll uh, they'll eat the they'll they'll mow the grass for you. <laughs> uh,
0: does it have sort of like a hobbit feel, like Lord of the Rings?
1: Yeah, very much so. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah, except as you know, in Lord of the Rings, it, the things are
1: actually in the ground. You know the little houses are this is like an actual structure with a roof that has
2: grass on it okay mine is uh, not an architectural detail but a recent trend or a decision that they've made i guess which is uh they have started selling merchandise from Disneyland Paris and the Chinese resorts and I think maybe also Tokyo Disneyland 2 in the respective World Showcase pavilions And there's not any fanfare made of it uh, You'll just find these on like a little table in a back corner of the store And they'll just have three or four little items uh, and they're usually something that maybe you know Was being featured in the international resorts six months through a year ago uh, And then they bring them over here and what I think is cool about it is that it's a very tangible connection for guests who aren't going to go there i mean it's one thing to walk into like an exhibit like they have in china and see like models of the shanghai park but to actually be able to buy something uh you know with french language or, or chinese language um labeling on it and something that's actually sold to those guests on a daily basis over there i think is just a really cool way to bring a little bit of uh an international park into uh, world showcase
0: okay so it doesn't feel like the discount
2: aisle at the disney store that's selling like 50th anniversary merch or anything well some of it has been anniversary merch not all of it but like to me even that is cool you know because like for example they had uh, grand opening shanghai stuff there recently commemorative merch but you know if you weren't there for it then that's a really cool thing to be able to get that that's true none of us were there And girls, the Magic Kingdom proudly presents our spectacular festival pageant of nighttime magic and imagination in thousands of sparkling lights and electro synthomagnetic musical sounds. The Main Street Electrical Parade. On this
0: magic night, On today's show, we want to talk about something that has been a staple of Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World and other Magic Kingdom style parks around the world ever since the earliest days of Disneyland. And that's the Disney parade. Every single day for decades, vacationers have lined the sidewalks of Main Street USA to get a front row view as their favorite characters waved to them from oversized and pretty imaginative floats, all while parading down the street to a unique medley of Disney tunes. For many, the Magic Kingdom Parade is the highlight of their entire Walt Disney World vacation. So for that reason, we wanna take some time to trace the history of Magic Kingdom's many parades, talk about the ones that seem to have had the most lasting power, and even discuss what we think the future holds for parades at the Magic Kingdom. Now, to understand the importance of parades to the Magic Kingdom in Florida, we need to start by looking back at the original park in Anaheim, uh, the original Disney park where the Disney parade originated. So, um, I mean, just by reading about that first year at Disneyland, you can see pretty easily that Walt always planned for parades to be a part of his park. And it all started actually on opening day. There was an opening day parade in 1955, in July, when Disneyland opened, uh, it featured some guest stars. You know, celebrities were itching to get into the park just as much as regular people were. Not that, <laughs> not that celebrities are not regular people, but I think you know what I mean. Uh, There was a Disneyland band, which we'll see was kind of a theme throughout a lot of these early parades. So the Disneyland band came through and played some songs. Uh, Obviously, there were characters. Characters have always been a big part of the Disney parks. Uh, One thing, so you can actually watch this. Uh, the majority of this parade um, was broadcast on ABC, as were most of the opening day festivities. Uh, I think we maybe played some clips on a former episode. They they went from land to land, and they had interviews with Walt in each land, and they talked about how many guests were there and all the festivities that were going on, and there are maybe five to seven minutes shown of this opening day parade. And for me, one of the coolest things was Dumbo. I know that's, that's so simple, but there was a character, Dumbo, on all fours, which I'm guessing it was more than one person, but just walking down Main Street, USA. <laughs> <laughs> and you certainly don't see that nowadays.
1: No. I think the entire parade is on the, the Walt Disney um, treasure tin box collection I have of the Disneyland thing, and as I remember, it's very circus-like. Like it's not, you know, it's not the modern understanding, like a Disney themed parade. It's like a like a parade in your hometown would be, except on like steroids, you know, for Disney. So I remember there's like, a lot of like circus type acts and acrobatics and stuff like that.
0: Uh, there very well could be. They didn't show any of that on this broadcast. Like I said, the broadcast is just clips of the parade. But they did have a segment dedicated to each land. So, you know, all the characters were in the fantasy land section. And by the way, you know, this was back in the day when characters looked kind of jacked up. Like the, the dwarves <laughs> had huge heads that yeah. you look at them and you're like, okay, those are the dwarves, but that doesn't quite look like <laughs> the dwarves I know. Uh, and like I said, Dumbo, you know, I mean, they're not going to get him perfect that early on. Uh, so everything just looked a little off, but it was still, they still had a pretty good showing of characters. But the thing I found fascinating was was this segment for each land that they had. So like I said, that was a fantasy land section. But then you come to the Frontier Land section and it's led by Davy Crockett on a horse. He's riding down the street. But then behind him are like thirty people dressed as Native Americans.
1: Oh like
0: like Peter Pan Native Americans. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like
1: Phantasmic Native Americans. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, or Hoopie Do Do Native
0: Americans. Okay, so okay, well that makes me feel a little better then, because I'm watching this and my first thought was just, oh, oh, <laughs> I don't know about this. Uh, but yeah, so a parade of them walked down, um, and then they had segments or sections for the other lands as well. I was really hoping to see the Tomorrowland section because you know in 1955 Tomorrowland wasn't really all that completed, but I, they never showed that in this broadcast. So. Anyway, that was opening day. Pretty regularly over the next few years, Disneyland added a new parade, usually to promote one of their projects at the time. And these parades were far from permanent. I mean, some of them lasted as short as one month. It was just kind of like a constant rotation of parades. So there was the Mickey Mouse Club Circus Parade, which was made to promote the Mickey Mouse Club Circus. Uh, There was the Zorro Days Parade, you know, back when Zorro was popular, which by the way, side note, totally random. I really think Disney should make a live action Zorro, like in the likes of Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm kind of surprised they haven't done that yet. Yeah. And I say live action as if there's ever been an animated version,
2: but you know what I mean. <laughs> anyway.
1: There were other live actions, right? I don't
0: remember what studio it was.
2: Yeah. Antonio Menderis and Catherine zeta Jumps.
0: Yeah. The Mask of Zorro, 98. Great movie. But it's been 20 years, you know. Anyway. And it wasn't Disney. Right, right. Gr- great score, though. Great soundtrack.
1: Zorro was one of my least favorite Disney things, but I, w- I would be interested to see a
0: movie. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so that brings us to 1964, when we got what could probably be considered the first daily scheduled regular... Disneyland parade. And I know this episode is about Magic Kingdom, but again, I feel like there are a few parades at Disneyland that we really need to cover because they led to what we know happened at the Magic Kingdom. So, in 1960, we got, or Disneyland got, the Parade of Toys, which featured a lot of props from the 1961 movie Babes in Toyland. So, it was very much Christmas-focused, had a Christmas theme. But along with that came Mickey at the Movies parade, which was basically the parade of toys, but they would take out anything Christmas-related for the rest of the year. Uh. And then then when Christmas rolled back around, they would put them back in and then once again take them back out. So these two parades kind of ran together from 1960 until 1964. And the reason this is important is because this was the first appearance of the big bass drum that would lead off the parade. Which, as we know, was featured later in the Main Street Electrical Parade. It's heavily featured in uh, Paint the Night Parade. Like, this ha- this kind of became a state. Was it Spectrum Magic as well? No. Well, sim- no, sim- something the...
2: similar, but not a drum.
0: Okay, okay. Because I remember the screen that said Spectrum Magic, but I couldn't remember what shape it was. So, anyway, but this big bass drum traces all the way back to this 1960 parade, Mickey at the Movies. So that was the first parade that ran for more than, you know, a couple years. It ran for four years. But then starting in 1966, for some reason, parades were not held quite as often. Uh, Fantasy on Parade, that's one that Disneyland fans talk about a lot. This was their Christmas parade. It ran every Christmas season for probably a decade. Fantasy on Parade. And and then throughout the year, there were one-time only parades to celebrate certain occasions. Uh, So, you know, these things didn't last for very long they didn't put a lot of time or money into the floats because they were just one time only the next major parade to make its way to disneyland would not come until 1972 and it's a parade that holds very deep significance to walt disney world in florida uh more about that in a minute there's a little teaser for you i think you probably know which parade i'm talking about um But while we're on the subject of Walt Disney World, and since this is an episode about Magic Kingdom parades specifically, let's move over there and talk about the first parades in the early 1970s. So much like it was at Disneyland, parades were a very important part of the Magic Kingdom from the very beginning. Like Disneyland, Magic Kingdom had its own grand opening day parade. Once again, this parade featured a big bass drum. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen pictures of this one, but I love it. It's got Cinderella Castle and the Contemporary Resort randomly on it. Uh,
2: Yeah, On the drum.
0: On the drum. Okay. Yeah, like a a light blue sketch of the castle and the Contemporary.
1: Does it have like a windsurfer person in it too? Yes, it does. Good call. Yeah, that was like one of the early low the early, the earliest logo for Walt Disney World was, like, the castle, the resort, and that. To say, like, hey, we are we got a full-orbed vacation experience. That was kind vacation of like Vacation Kingdom. Yeah, it's on my old little parking ticket, uh,
0: parking pass thing, too. Okay, that, that does make sense. So I guess w- what I'm about to say is actually a critique of the logo and not the parade. But, like, I mean, Polynesian was there, too. for Wilderness was there, too. Why did the Contemporary get on this parade float? Because it's like, hey, this is something. I guess (laughs) that's what it
1: is. (laughs) Can't argue with that. It's iconic. It had an iconic element to it that the others maybe didn't.
0: Anyway, so that was on the drum, which Mickey was kind of standing on as the parade came by. Once again, a large cast of Disney characters were part of this grand opening parade. You had Dumbo. It being the 70s, you had the Aristocats. You had the Hippos and Alligators from Fantasia. You had Geppetto and Honest John from Pinocchio. The Marching Toy Soldiers were actually a part of this. Winnie the Pooh, the Heffalumps were in this. Uh, There was a 1,076-member marching band. Once again, a band, (laughs) as we're going to see more of. Uh, They played 76 trombones from the Music Man. And then, as they reached Main Street, a choir... That was, on, that was in front of the castle, joined them in a chorus of When You Wish Upon a Star. And when they got to the last verse, these humongous drums that were lining the parade route opened up and released 50,000 multicolored balloons. Mm-hmm. And just like that, Magic Kingdom was open.
1: I, I, <laughs> I did watch some videos of that particular... Uh, Moment. I don't know how many balloons that would have been. Something tells me they would not do that today in in terms of like, you know, waste and litter and environment and stuff. But it it was a spectacle to to look at it. It looked like pretty awe inspiring.
2: Oh, I'm sure. Uh, The Disney Parks blog did a great retrospective video on this parade a couple years back. Uh, But the Imagineer, whoever they interviewed about it, when he got to the balloon segment, He's like, we released fifty thousand balloons. It was, uh, it was, it was too many. <laughs> it was too much. <laughs> I love that. But no, this parade. Is or was amazing. They had trumpeters on the rooftops, lining Main Street, uh, playing trumpets. You mentioned the music from, the Music Man. They actually had Meredith Wilson, who composed the Music Man, in the parade on uh, on opening day. Mowgli marched down Main Street. I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen that happen any other time. Um, my. Prayer for the fiftieth anniversary is for just for one day to recreate this exact parade for the fiftieth anniversary Magic Kingdom. I think would be incredible. That would be so cool. Biodegradable balloons. Yes, there you I go. Mean, yeah, <laughs> they have. They can project <laughs> they to be fifty thousand balloons onto the right. Castle. Oh, you know they would be like, oh <laughs> wow, look.
0: Yeah, no, it is a great parade. And this, you know, back in the day, this was back in the day when parades were simpler. Um, We're going to get to this later, but a lot of the parades now last for so much longer than they used to because so much effort is put into the floats. Like They have a much more permanent feel, so it's okay to keep them longer. But this was back in the day when all you needed were 75 characters marching down the street, maybe a few fire trucks, uh, and then a marching band. (laughs) Put
1: some fire trucks in
0: there! I mean, I really think characters rode the fire truck, the main street fire truck. They did, yeah. Yeah, so... And people loved it. But, you know, simpler time, different time. Um, So that was the grand opening parade. And then pretty much immediately after that, starting that first month, the park opened, they had a character parade. It ran two times every day, 1230 and 530. And it featured pretty much the same thing. A mix of Disney characters. There were some antique cars. Obviously, once again, there were musicians. This time, no balloons. Uh, But Mickey led the marching band, and I'm wrong, there were balloons, but the dwarves held them as they walked down the street, um, Mm -hmm. which is kind of, you know, adorable. This parade featured walrus from Alice in Wonderland, uh, the Big big Bad Wolf and the Three Little Pigs, Thumper and Flower. In 1972, a "Pooh for president section was added, which I always love seeing pictures from that kind of comical ad campaign in the 70s.
2: Yeah. My favorite thing about this parade is that Cinderella appeared in her rags, like like what she's wearing when she's cleaning the house. Uh, and I don't think I've ever seen her make a, like, a live appearance in that. Certainly not in my lifetime, in that costume. No, I.
0: Don't, they would never get away with that today, I don't think. No. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's cool. So that was those, those opening years. Uh, the first new parade that Walt Disney World got after... Opening day uh, came in 1974 and it was the cavalcade of characters. So you have the character parade and then you have the cavalcade of characters. So very different from each other, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, alliteration makes all the difference.
0: <laughs> it really does. It really does. So the cavalcade of characters featured some floats. Okay, so we're not just taking some antique cars down the street, we're going to give you some themed floats. So Snow White was on the wishing well. That was her float. You had a working Casey Jr. I mean, it wasn't really a train. It was a float that looked like a train. Uh, but Casey Jr. came down the street. King Richard from Robin Hood was on board. Minnie waved at you from the caboose. There was a Peter Pan's Flight ship. So imagine the attraction vehicle blown up as a float. And Captain Hook was on this. There was a honeypot float that featured Winnie the Pooh and the gang. This parade ran from 1974 to 1975. It took a break for a special bicentennial parade that I'll get to. And then it came back in 1977. And when it came back in 77, it featured Herbie the Love Bug. There was a Mickey Mouse Club section. And this will make Aaron very happy. As sort of a precursor to the Main Street Electrical Parade, there was a giant Elliot
2: float from Pete's Dragon. Yes, and I've seen just a couple pictures of, the, pictures of this ever, but he looked so good.
0: He did look good. It, it, you know, don't picture the light-up Elliot that blows steam out of his nose. This basically looked like a giant plush of Elliot.
2: Yeah, yeah, sort of, from what I can tell. I've only seen black-and-white photos, so it's kind of hard to get a good sense of it, but yeah, I think that's right. Uh, but one other thing I, I wanted to mention, so Peach Dragon is my favorite Disney movie, but close a close second is Ben Knobs and Six and i think it's actually king leonidas who's on the kc junior
0: yes he, he
1: was he randomly appeared at the end of one of the ones i'll talk about it. i was like i didn't even know that he was ever a character yeah. but it's well, amazing
2: there's confusion with him and a lot of it comes from the disney parks blog so they they posted an article about this float uh maybe like two years ago this this casey jr float uh and so it it pictures him uh king leonidas in it but it says that the float is from the dumbo's circus parade that we'll get to i guess in a little bit that that ran in 1979 but that's wrong they're they're wrong they were wrong to have published that king leonidas nor king richard neither of them were in the dumbo parade that (laughs) actually comes from this parade and then disney park's blog posted a separate article about this parade that we're talking about now. And once again, correctly, they, they featured a picture of this float, but they said that it's King Richard from Robin Hood in the caption, but it's not. It's King Leonidas. And then this same float got recycled for the first regular Walt Disney World Christmas parade called Fantasy on Parade in the mid 80s. And when that aired on television, uh, the the host of the TV special at, at the time was who was then Bruce Jenner and He's talking about the float, and he's like, "Oh, look, it's King, King Lion." <laughs> and Joan, Joan London, who was his co-host, picked up on that and ran with it for the rest of the parade. She kept talking about King Lion, and so because of all these things, there's like all this confusion around who he is. And then, Matt, as you mentioned, he he makes one other appearance in uh, Magic Kingdom parade history. But anyway, Poor King Leonidas has never gotten his due. It's like Disney has fought very hard to deny crediting him, but um, Bednar's room six gets very little attention in Walt Disney World, so it always makes me proud to know that it has had these fleeting moments on Parade.
0: Yeah, that is fascinating. I did get this information from the Disney Parks blog, so it is completely their fault that they said King Richard, but I'm a terrible Disney fan. I think if you put King Leonidas beside King Richard from Robin Hood, I don't think I'd be able to know which is which.
1: Yeah, you would. The one, he looks kind of ratty. His, his hair is kind of he looks a little more grumpy. King Richard's very large, barrel-chested, stately, and his mane is kind of, you know, perfectly around him, his uh, his shoulder. He's got a kingly look to him. This one looks like he's slung on like a
2: bathrobe. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I I think the average guest probably would fail that test. Like, you know, if you said yeah. pick between these two, people would probably have a heart. I mean, King Leonidas is not a, a particularly well-known character. No. Right. That's true. Yeah.
0: Uh, so like I said, this parade ran from 74 to 78, but it took a break from June 6th, 1975 to September 6th, 1976. I don't know if you remember, but there was kind of a big thing happening in America. It was the bicentennial, 200 years since the American Revolution, since Declaration of Independence and all of that. So America on Parade was the parade that happened during these, I guess, 10 months. Um, This was the park's largest daily processional to date. It happened once in the afternoon, and then it happened again right before the fireworks. So it it almost sounds like this was also the first parade to run in the nighttime. I mean, I guess if Cavalcade of Characters ran at at 5.30 p.m. during certain times of the year, it'd be dark then. I don't know. But this seems like it was made to run at night just as easily as during the day. I don't know if you guys have seen pictures of this. It is bizarre. Yeah. (laughs) It is very bizarre. So there's a series of eight foot tall people of America characters. Yeah. And each of them represent historical figures. So there's a ship that's navigated by Christopher Columbus, Betsy Ross, is sitting in an oversized rocking chair. And these are not, like, face characters dressed as Christopher Columbus and Betsy Ross. These look like creepy dolls. Oh my goodness, I just realized what it makes me think of. What's the movie with Michael Fassbender? Frank, did you ever see the movie Frank? No. Look up pictures of the movie Frank with Michael Fassbender sometime. And he plays a band member who who doesn't want people to see his face, so he just always wears this giant head. And it is exactly like that. Like there are cast members wearing these huge doll heads. It is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen march down Main Street.
1: Yeah, like everybody in it was that, except like Disney characters. Which yeah, for relatively few.
2: Right, which is, I think, one of the cool things about this parade. Like, they show up, I think, in like the second, the second part or the latter parts of the parade. But it's cool that this kind of introduced the concept of not every Disney parade has to be completely IP focused. And while most of their parades have been, uh, there have been a few, just like Epcot and whatnot, where you know they haven't focused so much on IP. And I think that kind of started with this. Uh, those those cr- creepy face characters later made an appearance in early Epcot Center as meet-and-greet characters in, in the World Showcase pavilions. No. So they were recycled. What were once American characters in a parade became meet-and-greet characters dressed to the different countries uh, in the early years of World Showcase. Stop. And you can find some photos of guests like posing for pictures with them, and it's very creepy because they are so much taller than the average guest, and they just have these blank you know, like horror doll-like expressions on their faces in the photos.
0: <laughs> That's terrifying. I want one. Um, so, yeah, this featured a float with, you know, the Statue of Liberty, Lady Liberty on it. Uncle Sam was also, not Sam the Eagle, Uncle Sam was on one of the floats. Some of the bizarrest elements to me, there was dum- there was a Dumbo float. So this was one of the few Disney characters who made it. And the- there was kind of an elephant on top of the float, and then there's an elephant out front that was doing a handstand, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the person's legs were in the elephant's front legs, and like his arms were in the back legs. I guess so. It looked like the elephant was doing a handstand down the street. Fun.
1: That's what Imagineering was doing in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs>
2: There was some dangerous stunt work in these early parades, like the one we were just talking about, the character Cavalcade. Uh, Peter Pan was driving a boat that was like basically a golf cart, and Smee is, is trying to climb aboard. And the whole time, Peter's just driving all over the place and pushing Smee off the boat as he drives. And I mean, it looks very dangerous, and I'm sure he was clipped on in some way, but stuff like that would never happen now. And um, I thought the same thing watching that Dumbo float, which is amazing. I mean, to see Dumbo standing upright on top of some rings and like dancing around looks incredible, but it also <laughs> looked like a delicate balance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: My favorite. <laughs> like, I, this just makes me laugh thinking about it. And I've seen it from multiple angles because I had to, I had to Google it. I'm like, is that really what I think it is? There is a giant float. I don't even want to guess how tall. Maybe, like, 15, 20... No, it had to be 20, 30 feet tall. And it's just a sandwich. It is just a... I don't know. More than quintuple Decker sandwich. It's, like, bread, topping, 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 bread, topping, lettuce, cheese, tomato, all that. Yeah! And it's, like, two stories high. Three stories high, maybe. And then it's followed by a giant jar of mustard. And that's all it is. It just sandwiched (laughs) no pun intended sandwiched between (laughs) two American floats is this giant sandwich
2: yeah I had totally forgotten about that float I think it's probably one of the most exceptional floats in Disney history Uh, it's unlike anything else it's just so random and I guess the idea was like we're America this is who we are we're George Washington (laughs) Betty Ross and giant sandwiches
1: giant sandwiches that have like a, a fish tail
0: hanging out Yeah, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like, wouldn't, like, a hot dog make more sense? (laughs) Uh, Or apple pie? I was just like, what, is that a sandwich? Google, Google, that's a sandwich. (laughs) There was also a float um, with Mickey, Goofy, and Donald. They're wearing their American Revolution uniforms. One's carrying a drum, one's carrying a fife, and one's carrying an American flag. Like if you told me there was America on Parade, there was a parade called America on Parade in Disney World, this is what I would expect Mickey Goofy Donald in American colonial
2: garb. Yeah. For sure. Uh, I was gonna say, I think what was happening with the whole daytime, nighttime thing is that even though Magic Kingdom did not have a nighttime parade yet, right? Other than the, the water pageant. Uh, but Disneyland already did And their nighttime parade took a break for the Bicentennial. And so America on Parade ran in Disneyland and Magic Kingdom at the same time. And so for that reason, they developed the parade to run at night to take the place of Disneyland's nighttime parade. And so it also ran at night in Magic Kingdom. But from what I've read, even though guests loved the daytime version, the nighttime version apparently was not well received. I guess it just... Yeah, you know, it wasn't like a like a Spectra Magic or a Main Electrical Parade in the sense that it wasn't decked out in like Christmas lights. Um, I guess it just had sort of lights shining down on it, and it just didn't have the same effect.
0: Interesting, because when you said that that was kind of the first time Walt Disney World got one, I would think it'd be the opposite, where guests would just be
2: wowed by a nighttime parade. But yeah, sad. It's kind of like the nighttime safari at Animal Kingdom.
0: <laughs> exactly
2: <laughs> like that.
0: What a disappointment. (laughs) One of the cool things about this parade was it got a brand new soundtrack. The Sherman brothers wrote a song for this called The Glorious Fourth, like F-O-U-R-T-H as in Fourth of July. I haven't actually heard this song. I couldn't find it anywhere. No, I actually have tried to find it before and I haven't been able to. Well, there you go. Sherman brothers wrote a song for this. But what's really cool to me is that the soundtrack blended the sound of an antique band organ with a modern synthesizer and was recorded from a 300-pipe 19th century military trumpet organ at the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville.
2: Hey, I didn't know that.
0: I thought that was so cool when I found that out.
2: That is cool. Uh, Another cool thing about the Sherman Brothers' role in this parade and maybe the the most laughing, lasting significance of America on Parade uh, is that so the Sherman Brothers had left the Disney company like after Walt died they'd grown frustrated with sort of the corporate politics, I guess, and they left to work on other movie studios and their own independent projects. And Disney really wanted them, I guess, to write a theme song for American Parade because it was going to be a big deal, a highly promoted parade. And so they, the Sherman Brothers agreed to come back and write this song on a non-exclusive basis. And I think it was that project that opened the door for the Sherman Brothers to then do a whole bunch of other stuff for Disney in just the next couple of years. Uh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, uh, the, the new theme song for Carousel of Prop- progress, Um, now is the best time of your life, Uh, the songs for Winnie the Pooh, uh, or for the later Winnie the Pooh shorts. And so a lot of that 1970s and on uh, Sherman Brothers' work might not have happened if not for them agreeing to come back for this sort of one time, one off special event.
0: Well, good. I'm glad this parade happened then. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Listeners, go check out
2: pictures of America on
0: Parade if you have not looked into this, or if you didn't see it in person. Maybe some of you did. Uh, But it was a really big deal at the time, but looking back to me, it's just so bizarre. Um, So like I said, the cavalcade of characters returned when America on Parade left, and it stayed for a couple more years. But while all of of this was going on, an important aspect of Disney Parades was being developed. So Disney had hired Don Dorsey to create the soundtrack for America on Parade. And Disney was very pleased with the final product, which is why they brought him on for later projects as well. But Don was still unhappy with the timing of certain musical cues. Like he had to go stand on top of buildings on Main Street USA, probably for hours at a time, trying to do math and do calculations to make sure the introduction music to this parade started at just the right time, no matter where you were standing, so that way, the introduction music ended just as the first float appeared. Because the danger was, you play this introduction music, it's wonderful, it fades out, and then you can't even see the parade down the street yet because it's come it's come on too early. So this led him to come up with an automated system by which lights in one area would go out just as the parade came into view. So you can kind of picture it, you're standing on Main Street, Everything's as it should be. The lights are on on the outsides of the buildings. Everybody's kind of talking. And all of a sudden there's that hush and all the lights go out just as you hear that big fanfare of the music. Well, that's not someone in a back room saying, okay, get the lights and the music now. Like, it's all automated to this computerized system. And that way, the big fanfare that starts the parade, like the bum bum or whatever it is, it needed to still be in time with the rest of the music. So if... Like, if... I I, I don't really know how to explain it other than, um, like, if you're standing there waiting for the parade somewhere else, it's probably already going on. But the fanfare that happens when it gets to you needs to still be in time with the music that's already playing down the street. And that's what this automated system allowed for. Um, It required careful synchronization, so that way the audio components melded together seamlessly, coordinated with the lighting, with the parade floats, all of that. Um, This system has come to be known as Mickey Track, and it was first used in 1980, and it's been incorporated in most Disney parades ever since. And it was the guy who did America on Parade who first came up with this system, and the reason he came up with that, you know, America Parade, America on Parade was already finished, he didn't really need to do anything else, but the reason he came up with this is because Disney has had hired him, after America on Parade, to revamp the music for the Main Street Electrical Parade, which had been very popular at Disneyland since its debut in 1972, and which was now about to make its way to Walt Disney World in Florida. Um... So for that, uh, I'm going to throw it over to Matt um, as we get into the uh, late 70s and beyond.
1: Yeah, so the Main Street Electrical Parade debuted at the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World in 1977. And uh, this was six years after uh, opening day at the Magic Kingdom. Um, And the Main Street Electrical Parade was really preceded, I guess, in spirit by the Electrical Water Pageant which opened opening year, 1971, at Walt Disney World. Uh, not to say much about the electrical water pageant, because I guess it's not a technical Magic Kingdom parade, but it was kind of one of those official pageant-like things that happened out on Seven Seas Lagoon. If you've never seen it, it usually consists of like you know, 14 or 15 very large um I don't know how to describe them, like panels covered in lights that, of course, uh, make pictures and they change and stuff. And without going into detail, the pictures have changed over the years and the soundtrack has changed over the years. But it's one of those things that has lasted, and you can still see the electrical water
0: pageant. Um, it, am I am I cutting out? No, I I'm agreed with you. I, I what was oh. I was just about to say like it's I cannot believe this parade is still there, but I love it. The pageant okay. it
1: makes me nervous. It makes me nervous when you smile. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so it's one of those things that's just hung on. But it, it was the inspiration for the Main Street Electrical Parade at Disneyland. Um, Card Walker was the uh, one of the, was the president of uh, modern, you know, CEO and CEO, COO terms don't apply at this time. But he eventually became the CEO of the Walt Disney Company, and he wanted something like that at Disneyland, which spawned the creation of the Main Street Electrical Parade, which, as you said, opened at Disneyland in 1972. Um, obviously comes to Disney World. This is something I didn't realize until doing research for this. There was a... I mean, there are two different parades. I, I'd always just assume, by the way, we you know we talk about it going back and forth and, and all this stuff, that there was only one set of these floats. And it went from Disneyland to Magic Kingdom back there, but... It, this was actually a whole separate creation for Walt Disney World in 1977, and it really was um, became so such a, a landmark kind of thing for Disney. I mean, as you said, the parades have been evolving and the parades have been growing up until this point at Disney parks. But this is one of the ones I think really takes hold as a lasting, permanent type fixture. Of the Walt Disney Parks, and even if that same Main Street Electrical Parade is not present today, some iteration of it is somewhere. At least things that are inspired by it and look an awful lot like it. And um, that—that's the Main Street Electrical Parade. Some of the original floats, um, as we've talked about, that featured the uh, the Casey Junior Circus Train, which kind of uh, used to kick off the thing um, with um, Goofy. Was Goofy always the engineer driving it?
0: Since I've seen it, but. It goes back a lot longer than me.
1: Yeah, and and of course this is where the bass drum is featured. It it passes by, and that's where the actual title, Main Street Electrical Parade, was. Um, and of course this changes over the years, but we'll, we'll, we can get to that later. Um, some of the mo- some of the most um, iconic and maybe bizarre floats and that seems to characterize a lot of these things from the seventies, just some things are kind of bizarre. And one of them is the, the Pinocchio section, which is the, some of the pleasure Island, um, things that feature the large, you know, oversized Indian chieftains with the cigars that are smoking. Like the cigars are smoking. There's a giant pipe, tobacco pipe. Um, it's just one of those things that like, I can't believe this actually made it back into some of the modern versions of the parade, but it's there. Mm -hmm. Um, Things I always remember from my childhood from this parade were the big, um, I guess it's Big Ben, the Cinderella take place in London, the big clock tower from Cinderella.
0: Yeah, I always thought that was a Peter Pan float until I think last year I was listening to Disney Coast to Coast, Jeff's podcast, and they pointed out that it's so obviously a Cinderella float. And I was like like, light bulb went off. I, I never put that together.
2: Well, I think that's one of the genius elements of Main Street Electrical Parade, especially in its most recent lineup, is that there are these transition pieces between each segment that can apply yeah. to either story. So it, it is Cinderella's clock tower, but then it also signals in your mind London and Peter Pan, and then that's the next sequence. Uh, the same thing happens with A Lighthouse uh, between, I think, Peach Dragon and America, and there. are consistently between each sequence, there is a transition piece. And I honestly don't know if it was intentional. It might be happenstance because that hasn't always been the case in the history of this parade, but as it exists now, it's pretty artful actually, the way that that just kind of um, unfolds.
0: Hey, you mentioned Pete's Dragon. When did that come out?
2: 77, the movie, 1977.
0: Okay, was it part of this 77 Walt Disney World parade? Do you know?
2: I believe so, I believe so. Don't hold me to that. But I, think
0: I mean so. I won't, but but it does make sense that the first time it was shown was in Magic Kingdom, not in Disneyland if the Magic Kingdom parade appeared at this time. Which is kind of cool cuz you always think of it as a Disneyland parade, but maybe just maybe we got that first. Who knows? Yeah. The original
1: parade floats for the Main Street Electrical Parade uh featured. Now that that word it can be a little Um, ambiguous because you don't I I don't quite know if that means this is all that was in the parade or these were the highlights Um, the blue fairy which looking back on it is one that that is not in the modern uh, version which was a very tall float like the bottom part was just her long flowy blue dress and there was a person obviously like stationed inside of the float that was the dress but the blue fairy was always one of the ones uh, in, in the versions I remember um, the large drum pulled by the Casey Jr. engine. There's a Cinderella section. Apparently there was a Chinese dragon featured at one time oh. in the main Trilogical Parade and a circus
0: calliope. All right. Uh, that blue fairy float reminds me of what they did in Paint the Night. I guess that's kind of a nod to the blue fairy float. They did that with Belle.
1: Yeah, there's lots of wonderful nods throughout all the the things that were inspired by the the Main Street Electrical Parade. I'll talk about one big one, obviously, in a minute. Uh, Some of the parades in the original, some of the floats in the original, uh, all that to say that I don't see anything about Pete's Dragon and kind of the original lineup. Maybe it was added a, a year later, maybe some months later after the film debuted. I don't know. Some of the original floats, the 1977 version were simply large screens similar to what you see in the electrical water pageant apparently like the um, original yeah. american flag finale and some of the some of the train elements from the, the circus train were just like you know large it, it, it's hard to describe the the, the actual floats of the main street electrical operator 3d like actual set pieces covered with the lights this would have been like a, just a flat panel, mm-hmm. not exactly Christmas lights, but like popcorn lights on it that made the shape of these things. So it's kind of a little, you know, makeshift light bright placeholder. Yeah, like a light bright, <laughs> a, a light bright placeholder until the actual thing uh, kind of took hold. Uh, let me talk about probably one of the most iconic parts of this parade, at least for me, and that is the the, the music. Um, I don't know that any... In fact, I know that most people hearing the song, when I say, oh, that's the Broke, go down. But I think that most Disney fans, long-time Disney Parks fans, or even new-time, you know, new Disney Parks fans that get into Disney music and start listening to this, this is certainly up there with one of those iconic Disney Parks songs. And it's the, the, the weird thing about it is it's not original. It's not original to the Main Street Electrical Parade, or to the Disney parks at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The underlying theme behind the whole Main Street Electrical Parade, as I said, is called the Baroque Hoedown. And the original version was created, listen to this, in 1967 by synthesizer pioneers Jean-Jacques Perret and Gershon Kingsley. Wow, oh, wow. From the album, Kaleidoscopic Vibrations, Electronic <laughs> Pop Music, from way out.
0: Oh my gosh, the parade should have been called Kaleidoscopic Vibrations.
1: Oh, well, the Hollywood Studios is about to be called Kaleidoscope Park, so (laughs) it's kind of a little nod. Uh, Of course, I, I think the early version in the Disneyland Parade was basically just this track. And then when it came to Walt Disney World in 1977, there were some updated arrangements by some Disney composers. Um, That took the original song and kind of made it work with a Disney feel in the Disney,
0: um, the Disney parade. Yeah, that was Don Dorsey, the guy who did America on parade. I assume those were the additions that were contributed by him. So
1: actually, Jim Christensen and, and Paul Beaver.
0: Oh, just kidding.
1: They were the ones that took the original song and made the arrangement for the 1977 version. Don Dorsey, Jack Wagner um, took that, and um, it doesn't actually give the date for when they were they were updated, but it was used until 2009 in the uh, the Disney Electrical Parade. Hmm. The Main Street Electrical Parade runs at Walt Disney World um, from 1977 until 1991. So, I mean, in in terms of just staying power and lasting kind of permanent fixtures of Walt Disney World, the Main Street Electrical Parade was really the first parade to kind of take on that iconic, this is part of the Disney World experience because it was literally there for 14 years um, steadily. And even when it goes away and Spectrum Magic comes in in 1991, 1992, it's still kind of that same nighttime light parade thing that becomes a fixture of the park.
0: Yeah, this parade was such a big deal. I mean, there's a reason that when it went away last year and they, they kind of hinted that this would be the very last time it ever leaves, like, there's there a reason that people really came out to see the parade. A lot of people were very upset about this news. Disney made a whole big deal of it with their billboards and all that. Like, it's a big deal. In fact, I mentioned five or six parades that happened before it, but I, the average person who has a good knowledge of Disney parks would tell you that the Main Street Electrical Parade had to have been the very first parade that was at Disney. You know, I'm guessing a lot of people think that just because it was the first one to make such a big impact.
1: Yeah, and it's actually made two comebacks. I, I forgot completely about the one um, in the middle, which it, it went away in 1991 to make way for Spectrum Magic, but it actually came back in 2000, oh no, 1999 and ran for two years until 2001. I forgot all about that, but you know, looking back on it, some of those, those trips there in the middle, I remember it was like, hey, because that, you know, that was before I was into like obviously Twitter and things where we keep up with the Disney parks as we do now. So I just show up with my family and hey it's the Main Street Electrical Parade. <laughs> like <laughs> that's that's kind of random. I do remember that that now though. And of course, um, after two thousand one, Spectro Magic came back um, until two thousand ten when the Main Street Electrical Parade came back for what was supposed to be a short stay for the summer night tastic. Uh, event through 2010, but of course stayed until 2016, <laughs> and has only and only recently, you know, a year ago, went away and has not been replaced since. Yeah, but it made yeah. a lasting impact on Disney parks around the world. I mean, Tokyo, uh, everyone. Uh, the the original Walt Disney World Electrical Parade go went to Paris uh, Disneyland as Spectrum Magic took the place here. Disneyland tried to do some reinventions of the Electrical Parade with light magic or something. I I didn't ever see that. I read that it failed miserably and was awful. And so it, but but beyond that, Tokyo Disneyland has their own version of the Electrical Parade which looks awesome. And there was the Paint the Night Parade that was part of the 60th anniversary of Disneyland. So this idea has carried on and throughout most of those iterations, most of them now the Baroque Hoedown and at least some version of that kind of synthesizer announcement at the beginning, you know, the ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, has made its way into all those parks. So, you know, 40 years later, elements of the mainstream Electrical Parade still live on and probably will live on for, you know, however long Walt
0: Disney Parks are around. I remember the first time I saw Main Street Electrical Parade. And by about seven or eight minutes in, I was like, this song is the worst it needs to stop. But then you just kind of grow to love it. Because I remember specifically sitting in my car the first time I heard the soundtrack to Paint the Night. And I don't mean to keep bringing up that parade. But, you know, it, it has little elements of the broke hoe down in a very modern way. And it starts with just like the bells of or whatever the instrument is, playing a very soft version of Baroque Hoedown. And I just remember like almost wanting to cry just because it was such a sweet, tender little nod to an old parade.
2: Yeah, you know, there's a difference between being bad and being overplayed and it's sort of the same thing with with frozen you know i like i think frozen is a great movie but i agree with most people that you know disney has has made too much of it and done too much with it in too short a period of time and so the sort of the same things happen with mainstream electrical parade and i'm i was with everyone and being ready for it to leave magic kingdom it had overstayed its welcome but in expressing that sentiment, you know, it is kind of sad that people almost started to hate on the prey a little bit. And I think objectively speaking, it is a work of art. In addition to being historically very important and having been a part of so many people's vacation memories for decade after decade, uh, I think it's so cool that looking back over the history of this parade, we can see little just snippets of history, like there was a Return to Oz sequence in this parade, I think in Magic Kingdom at one point, there was a yeah. Fox and the Hound sequence, King Leonidas I think at one point turned up in this briefly, uh, you know, it's just very few parades can can say that they were there for each of these distinct periods uh, in, in Disney history. Uh, And Matt, you were talking about the guys who composed uh, Baroque Hoedown. Uh, One of my favorite stories with this, um, I don't know how true it is, but legend has it that uh, by the time Disney acquired either the license for Baroque Hoedown, or I don't know, maybe they bought the the rights outright, but uh, supposedly the original composers no longer had a stake in the song, no longer older, and so they were not aware that Disney had acquired it, and they just went to, I think it was Disneyland, on a family vacation, and were there for the nighttime parade, and that iconic opening started, and they just got chills because something they had created and shared with the world, you know, several years prior, was being featured as <laughs> uh, the main spectacle that night. And I can't think of just a more awesome experience than that. That
0: would be. I would just like lose. I I would crap all over myself. <laughs> like if like if they started playing our podcast just like over the speakers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's uh, a
1: perfect song. I don't know how they found it, who was listening. Like, you, know, th- you know what this would be good for? A light parade. But it is perfect. And maybe just because they're synonymous in our minds as Disney fans.
0: But Also, the name Baroque Hoedown. Like, the biggest oxymoron in the world. But it, it's so perfect.
2: It really is. And you can hear their original composition like the album they released it on before it was a disney thing on itunes and i think also apple music and so it's interesting to listen to that and, and compare
1: hmm. well um main street logical parade being the most iconic long lasting of some of these disney parades aside there were some other parades that took place in the 70s and 80s and 90s and i, I don't want to I'm not going to give you a detailed float by float explanation of most of these, um, because honestly, some of them are are just kind of vanilla. And, and And it's interesting to look back on these parades and see what a parade was, you know, for the early. And I say early, really 20, 20 almost twenty five years of Walt Disney World history. What a parade was is very different than what a parade is. Today, at least in the daytime, afternoon parade. Since in 1978, it was Mickey's 50th birthday, and it was a 50th birthday parade. To watch this parade, and
0: <laughs>
1: is to feel a little sad. But at that time, it was <laughs> at that time it was a, a spectacle. I say it like it was so long ago, 1978. Not too ancient, but it was a spectacle. But the parade has one theme. It has one vibe. They're all a bunch of wrapped presents with the Disney characters sitting on top, some of them wearing like party hats. There's this happy birthday Mickey theme song and it ends with Mickey Mouse. And that's really it. I mean, there, there's not a massive amount of floats. Um, it's more about the characters just kind of being there on this thing and it passes through and people see it. and Okay, let's continue our day. Maybe five minutes long. It It, it had its own theme song and that's fine and stuff, but... Um, it's just curious to look to look back on it. Literally, like just Tigger, like lounging on a birthday present, and <laughs> and, and poo kind of you know trucking along behind. As I continue through the 80s and, and some of these parades, though, an interesting factor that I noticed is the inclusion. And today we think odd characters, but you know in the 70s and 80s they, maybe they weren't. Um, Dumbo, as we've already said, makes a lot of appearances. The Robin Hood characters make a lot of appearances. Random characters from Alice in Wonderland make some random appearances, like the walrus who's marching around. Um, I'll get I'll get some of those as we go through. From 1979 to um, from January 1979 to December 1979, uh, Dumbo Circus Parade is the daytime parade at Magic Kingdom. And a lot of these also, you'll notice, as I say, the dates are one year, maybe two years max in their running time. Uh, same thing here. lot of disney characters you know it's not like a you get gypped on the disney characters has its own theme song its own feel but it's one theme it's like a circus parade is coming through town coming through main street usa you have different parades all themed to this kind of you know whimsical circus setting and kind of just all the disney characters are just kind of there at the circus so uh continues that factor of the random characters um Stromboli makes a couple appearances in some of these, which is,
0: it blows my mind, but it's just one of those things. I guess the Main Street Electrical Parade was really the first time that Disney had a different parade during the day that they did it than they did at night, right? Because always before that, I mentioned, I listed all those parades that just kind of happened every day, but that was it. But then once Main Street came, you're still having these parades like Dumbo Circus Parade during the day, but then at night it's Main Street.
1: Yeah, and maybe I'm just a product of you know the '90s and the 2000s in terms of you know going to Disney, mainly the '90s as a child. But um, was there ever a time when the parades weren't necessarily daily, especially the Main Street Electrical Parade? Because it always people always said you know there was always that little inclusion on the maps and stuff that it operated uh, seasonally or, or things like that. It made me think, okay, maybe an off season they don't they don't do as many parades.
2: I think in recent history, that was the case for Main Street Electrical Parade. I think there were times, there were nights where it didn't run. This number Circus Parade had another one of these dang, seemingly dangerous stunts where uh, on one of the floats, you have to picture this Pluto is hanging off the back of a float, like yes. belly up with his. I guess his back two legs like wrapped around a pole, and that's holding him onto the float. And then he's walking with his front two legs, on on the pavement, as if the float is dragging him along. And to watch, I my mouth dropped when I when I saw this. I mean, it looks like I said, seemingly dangerous. It looks extremely uncomfortable and awkward. And I just, I that would never happen today. Whoa! But it was funny. It was a good visual gag
1: yeah a lot a lot of those things like I just noticed you know, none of the characters if they're on a float, none of them are tethered yeah. down to anything like you would see today. there are characters doing you know, an awful lot of dancing and like movement on these on the floats to not I mean you know you, you notice on the modern floats they'll have a little thing tethered from their back to to the to the float so they don't fall um, or they're even inside a little encapsulation. that's just not the case. And the more we talked about the parades today, the more this old adage comes to mind, the more things change, the more things stay the same. And one of the things I noticed about all these early parades is that one of the beginning floats that featured Mickey and Minnie for maybe 10 consecutive parades was the same. Things were changed on it, you know, and some of the, like the Donald Duck thing I'm gonna talk about, some of these things were changed, but it was that same float I, I noticed. Um, the 10th Parade uh, runs from October 1st, 1981, to September 30th, 1982. So, uh, less than a year for this one, celebrating Walt Disney World's 10th anniversary. The, watching this one, it, it's just surprising where parades are today and where parades were then. Like you had the opening float, like I said, with Mickey and Minnie, and you know had the there was a 10-year theme song, Disney World is your world or Disney World is for you or something like that. And then there were several little sections that represented the different – some of the different lands. So this kind of jungly-looking float came by with, like, blue and some of the monkeys dancing around from um, Jungle Book. There were some people inside, kind of some Caribbean uh, costumes dancing and doing some things, but not like a major float representation. Um, The trolley came down from Main Street, USA, and they were singing, you know, uh, ding, 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 went the trolley from – Mimi and St. Louis. And there's some other elements of Main Street. The Dapper Dans are riding bicycles. It was really just kind of like these are things you see all day at the park. They're just all here at once. <laughs> and then there was uh, kind of a marching, fife and drum thing uh, for Liberty Square. The country bears, like a lot of them, came by on kind of this little wagon. There's a little wagon being drawn by horses, and the country bears were all kind of inside playing and dancing around. And, and, you know, five ten minutes and it's over. <laughs> the same song throughout.
0: I think this is because this was at. A t- I'm just making this up, but this was at the time when the Disney movies were kind of suffering, and they're like, let's just <laughs> yeah. focus on the parks. Yeah. Another
1: thing I noticed, yeah, is the re- is the presentation of um, the the parks more more than like you know properties, uh, movie properties. And the Country Bears are in a lot of this. There's a lot of Country Bears in these 70s and 80s parades.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The Country Bears were more beloved than, like, whatever <laughs> Pip. Sword whatever. in the Stone. Yeah, no, not <laughs> Pip. Uh, what's the character from, like, Black Cauldron? You know, people love the Country Bears more than they love Princess Prinane or whatever her name is. Um, so I don't remember her name. I love me. Oh, that's it. Sure. Well, what's the kid's name then? Isn't something like Prinane or Prin? Chain,
1: yeah, it's something like that.
0: <laughs> anyway, it kind of reminds me of the fireworks that have occurred in Disneyland over the years. Like remember the mad or remember dreams come true was all focused on attractions that you see at the park. But I've never really seen a parade do that. So that's interesting.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because I was looking at the parades that I was kind of assigned to, and I was. Re- As I'm remarking, I'm saying uh, these aren't a big deal. There's not huge elaborate floats. I mean, that Spirit of America or America on Parade or whatever it was, the America on Parade is far more elaborate than any of these parades. And, I mean, that was America's whatever. um,
0: Bicentennial.
1: Bicentennial celebration, so I can understand they made a big deal out of it. But um, these parades... I mean, they're pleasant to watch, and I'm sure that if you were there, they would have been nice to see the characters, and it was fun. But nothing like show-stopping, or like we have to see the afternoon parade, as it would be today, to me at least. Um, there was the the wonderfully named uh, Mickey Mouse character parade um, from October 1983 to May 1984. Exactly as it would sound. Very minimal floats, a lot of characters, uh, and you know, I don't know what was popular. At that time, but it's it is funny to see the characters featured, Prince John, Little John, Robin Hood. One of my favorite things is the presence of the hippo and the rhinoceros guards from Robin Hood. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: They 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 make their way into some of these 70s and 80s parades, and I would I would literally, this is these are things I would wait in line to meet. <laughs> I would wait in line for Prince John and King Leonidas, and and just these characters like. I mean they were more, you know, familiar to people in the 70s and 80s but still to look back and look, those were characters, heffalumps and woozles like we mentioned earlier. That's cool. Even if the parade was kind of lackluster, they made up for it at least in modern context with with their characters. Uh, then in 1984, uh, Donald Duck turned 50 and they gave him his whole parade, Donald Duck's 50th birthday parade. Wow. And this is yeah, and this is kind of the first time I noticed okay, that first float is the same float they used in the last two parades, um, which was funny because it starts, and the big parade, they changed out the big, the, there's a big circle with Donald's face on it. The the kind of, the face you see at the beginning of the Donald Duck shorts, but Mickey and Minnie are in front of it, dancing. And Donald <laughs> Donald's at the very end, which I know they were saving, saving it for the end because it's his birthday, but still, yeah, five or 10 minutes long, Couple of little birthday presents float by. Lots of characters wearing birthday hats and singing about Donald. It's your birthday. It's your birthday. And then there's Donald. But <laughs> here's something.
0: Wait, this is making me think of uh, Move It, Shake It, where you thought, or where Jessica thought it was Donald. 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 <laughs> Donald. Da, 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 da.
1: <laughs> yeah, kind of like, It's your birthday. It's your birthday. People carrying like little 50 signs around. Charming, but not like just not a modern, you know, Disney parade the way we think of it. The one of the most interesting things is the last float. Huey, Dewey, and Louie are there. Donald is on top obviously. There's Daisy. Scrooge is on this float. Scrooge McDuck wearing his like red coat, like classic Scrooge McDuck. Um actually modern and classic, the the kind of the red coat with the top hat. And an older lady duck, who I can only assume is Hortense. Hortense, how do you say her name? I think it's right. Scrooge's sister, like Donald's mom, right? I, you're the Ducktales guy. I don't know. There's an there's an old lady duck on this float, and I'm like, who in the world is that? <laughs> like, I know that the, the the I know the the comic book versions, and a little bit about this sounds terrible. Some of Scrooge's family tree. I've actually looked it up, believe it or not. But this being in a parade, like her, like, I thought that was one of the most interesting things of all this research was seeing her on that float. It has to be her, Matilda Duck, who is uh, Donald's sister.
0: This is weird.
1: (laughs) Go watch it. Look it up. There's an old lady duck on there. I don't know who it is, except that that's got to be it. Uh, Mickey Street Party. (laughs) Mickey Street Party comes from 1985 to 1986. Um, I'm laughing about this because this is, it. The, the what I said: the more things change, the more things stay the same. This is one of those. where they change the music, try to be a little hip, um, but it's just very much the characters dancing around some 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 very minimal floats. I, I hate to even say this, but think: move it, shake it, celebrate it. Style floats, just like very small characters not necessarily on them or like dancing on them but kind of around them as it kind of floats down 15 years of magic parade October 1st 1986 to September 1987 so a little under a year to celebrate Walt Disney World's 15th anniversary again featuring that opening float and this is the first time I've ever watched any old parade in its entirety and lo and behold the last Float on this parade is the mirror glass castle (laughs) float. Yes. That has been every dang Disney parade uh, apparently since this time. (laughs) It's obviously undergone some changes, but I was like, you have got to be kidding me.
0: What year did you say? 1986.
1: 1986, the 15th anniversary.
0: That is before I was born. There (laughs) has been
1: a float that is still part of the Christmas parade. Uh, every time you see it now, you should picture, like, very 80s, like, dancers, um, you know, guys with, like, the blazers with the sleeves rolled up on there dancing around and doing stuff, because that's what this was, very 80s, you know, pop vibe to it, trying, I mean, you know, you were kind of moving out of the kitschy parade, and kind of moving towards that we're trying to be kind of culturally relevant and Disney-fied at the same
2: time, that is this parade yeah very very 80s so cool float designs though I, I thought several of the floats were pretty impressive in this parade but this is also the one that had the Chevrolet cars and have you guys seen pictures where they were doing like, the daily Chevy giveaway and so you'd be in like Main Street and there'd be like a Chevy truck sitting in Town Square or they'd have literally a Chevy truck parked in front of Spaceship Earth and then it would be in the parade and it was just way too much Chevrolet I mean talk about a theme killer on a daily basis
0: The only reason I know about that... um, So, Terry, who's been on the show a few times, I was over at her apartment a while back, and she pulled out some old pictures of when she and her grandparents were here for the 15th anniversary. So, obviously, there were big 15s on, like, every, you know, photo-taking spot. There was a big 15 there. And I put some of these on Twitter. I might retweet them later this week. But there was one of them standing in front of, you know, where the Mickey Floral is at the train station, and there was a giant truck there. It almost looked like... A worker, you know, was like, "I gotta go work on some maintenance. <laughs> me, do you mind if I park right here in front of the train station?" You know, I was like, "What in the world is that doing there?" And someone responded, "I think that was when they were doing that Chevrolet giveaway." So weird.
2: Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, Matt, as you mentioned, this is we're getting into the point where a lot of parade floats are starting to get recycled. In this parade, there was a there was a rock group with like Chip and Dale and the Big Bad Wolf and a bunch of other random characters were like performing as a rock group, and they were on a, a float. And I believe that float has since been repurposed as the skeleton band float in Boozy. Uh,
0: yeah. Oh
1: cool yeah there's a, a gazebo float that keeps appearing on some of these I think has to be the exact same gazebo float that shows up at Christmas Halloween Easter I mean you know obviously with some changes they've made over the years but that yeah the mirror, the mirror glass castle one was like that caught me off guard
0: listen <laughs> as much as I make fun of it because it keeps coming back at at the base of it I mean like to its core it's a pretty cool float whoever thought yeah it's of not that. bad Especially for the '80s.
1: Apparently timeless too. <laughs> I
0: just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean it does. It does have sort of an '80s feel with all the mirrors on it, but I, I still think it works. Watch <laughs> Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, it used to have like, um, like
0: silver, like tinsel hanging down on the side. So at least we've, you know, moved beyond that. Yeah, but sometimes I wonder how they're able to do three different parades. Like if you have a daytime parade and a nighttime parade and then a Christmas party is going on and you have a Christmas parade, where do you keep all these floats? But I guess you just recycle them. Ginormous warehouse.
1: Um, The Spirit of America parade is from 1987 to 1988 um, and 4th of July 1989. Later used also as a pre-parade. And you know, when I was looking at this, I looked back at the America on parade to see if they just reuse that stuff and they didn't um and this parade is a lot less uh fantastical than than that parade uh this america on parade this one this one though starts to feature a lot more elaborate themed float designs um the country bears are here again with uh like baloo who is trying to look like a mountain bear i guess (laughs) they're like on this kind of very elaborate Um, think Appalachian style mountains not like Big Thunder Mountain with like a big water wheel and a log cabin and that kind of comes floating by there's a huge like Big Thunder style float that comes by with Chippendale and some other characters on it there's a big tidal wave style float I guess representing the the West Coast that comes by with you know surfer Goofy and stuff like this on it still very uh, short parade compared to nowadays and kind of the same music going the whole time, not a lot of a lot of changes there, but you start seeing, okay, very elaborate, differently themed floats i th- I thought I started to see a lot more of that with this
2: with this parade that uh that big thunder float with chip and Dale uh became the Davy Crockett float in the next parade, and it is now the Captain Barbosa float in boosey U. oh yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Look at that. I was just thinking, as you mentioned that, that sounds like a cool flow. I wish I could have seen that, but I guess I have.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of paint here and there, but it's the same thing. Um, Yeah, Mickey's, I I love how they worked in All-American Birthday Parade because they used some of the same uh, floats for this. Mickey's All-American Birthday Parade 1988 to 1990. I noticed the tidal wave was used. I don't remember if the mountain and the water wheel was used. But the big Thunder Mountain kind of style uh, float was used, and the Tidal Wave float. Other than that, a you know a lot more gift boxes and uh, like present boxes, and and characters dancing around, and it was Mickey's kind of 60th birthday. I remember the little logo for Mickey's 60th from all of the little VHS Disney movies I had from the late '80s. Um, They kind of began with that little logo: "Happy Birthday, Mickey 60th!" Whatever, and that's the logo that was used in this parade. Then there was the Disney character hit parade. I, I just names. I just don't know what they <laughs> And they all seem to run. This one actually runs for almost two years, but October to September. That kinda seems to be the, the thing. October first on the anniversary to the the la, the next September.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: um, this one actually started to feature, I think a lot a a lot more elaborate floats that represented different movies yeah. i remember um a big snow white portion
2: with a water wheel i'm not sure yeah. if it was the same water wheel as it looks different to me but yeah it water was cool wheels. i do uh <laughs> and this was the debut of the little mermaid and roger rabbit
1: so yeah this hit parade started with um Hold on, let me let me get all my thoughts together. Cause I watched too many parades to keep them.
2: <laughs> yeah, they, they
1: run together. To keep them straight. Okay, there's the big boat. Um, yeah. So this parade feature a lot more diversity in terms of the theme, and a lot more representation of other of just various properties themed to the individual floats is that well there was it opened up first of all a lot of these parades these early parades open with a marching band sometimes it was like a random marching band i guess from like a high school or something um and and then of course later on you kind of just start getting the walt the, the disney world um uh, marching band uh that comes down before all the parades before the actual start of it this one starts with the band immediately followed by a huge showboat style uh, float with Chip and Dale and some other characters on it. Very elaborate. And then you have a Winnie the Pooh uh, section with uh, actual big tree and kind of hundred acre woods look to it with Tigger and Eeyore and, and all the rest. And then there's the seven door. Dwar- I think it is the same water wheel parade uh, water wheel float. Okay. Um, but kind of kind of Alpine kind of vibe. They've tried to give to it with the dwarves and snow white um, and then it kind of ends with this weird, goofy, uh, beach party thing with a like a spiral, like he's on a playground with like a spiral slide and some some other some other random things. Uh, again, uh, we're getting to the point where um, you're starting to represent like movies and stuff. Um, still short, short parades uh, compared to today. Is this the one where you said the debut of the Little Mermaid? Is this the one where that that float? was it was like one little float that had all the characters packed on it
2: yeah yeah like ursula eric ariel it, it kind of looked like a movie poster or the movie poster yeah. turned into a float
1: huh yeah it, ursula's kind of on the back and then there was like eric little mer uh, ariel and then a big sebastian like big full yeah, yeah. character sebastian yeah. Came floating through, and then it had the title on top: "The
0: Little Mermaid." <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> because people back then were like, "What is that? <laughs> what? Yeah, what I is this imagine. movie?"
1: Yeah, and that, think about it that that is that was like the first time in like forever that Walt Disney World was like promoting like a, a current property, a current yeah. movie that's being pushed in this in this parade.
2: And has has there been a parade that she hasn't been in since then?
1: Oh no don't think so. Not even Spectro Magic.
2: Yeah, so that's crazy. And then uh, the Gummy Bears were in this too. Which
1: yes, is- I was going to say, I was. I, I wish Jeremy was you know, on here to, to gawk at the presence of the Gummy Bears on that last float. On the mirror glass float, <laughs> mind you. Uh, the Gummy Bears are there. I, I was surprised not to see any of the other Disney Afternoon folks on it, but, but the Gummy Bears were there. And like all of them.
0: Wow. Yeah, this was peak time for Disney Afternoon. You'd think they would... Hop on that, but they did, not they don't like to hop on things.
1: <laughs> 20th anniversary surprise celebration parade lasts from, and this is the first from September 22nd, 1981, to June 1994. So, this was the uh, 20th anniversary parade um, that was l- later renamed the surprise celebration parade. This again was kind of one of those, like when you look at it now, you're like, this is very underwhelming for such a big event. Like literally, like I'm, I'm, I I can't keep going back to this, but like the block party parade that was there that's you know, the stupid, move it, shake it, play it, celebrate it, whatever it is—just um, like an individual wrapped boxes kind of floating down the middle with characters kind of dancing around it. But then again, it, it kind of had that. Um, for some reason, I thought there was a parade called the Street Parade.
2: Yeah, there was.
1: Did I miss it? Oh, I did miss it. Good lord. Just insert this after Donald Duck's birthday parade, Mickey Street Party. There it is. Uh, this reminded me of that, and that the, a lot of the characters are down dancing around. It's 1991 to 1994, so it's kind of got. They try to incorporate some rap in there, <laughs> it, very awkwardly. It's like a woman, like a girl rapper, like Yo Roger. You know, like Roger Rabbit's in it, and you know, they're going back and forth. It's,
2: I think that's Mickey Mania, because I, I have this. I have this dialogue. <sighs> And yeah,
1: amazing. yeah. Read some of the dialogue then, because that's the next parade, Mickey Mania, from 1994 to 1996. So that was what, three years, and now this one, this one's two years. The Mickey Mania parade.
2: Yeah, hold on, let me find this. This is great. Yo, Roger. <laughs> Yeah, listen up, all you rad dudes. Walt's house is rocking with the mania that's hit the street with the brand new beat. My main man Mickey Mouse is busting fresh, out of sight, and he wants you to chill hard and bump the bump while the mania grooves your moves. Mickey Mania is taking control.
0: No! Yes! Bust a move like that. that is the most 90s parade like if I had seen this in the 90s it would have been like
2: yeah That's awesome. yeah. <laughs> well, That's the thing like like looking back objectively both of these the surprise celebration and Mickey Mania are bad Parades they're just tacky and random like Mardi Gras like what kind of theme is that But these were my first two like the first two parades that I really have vivid Memories of so every time I see anything from this it's just this nostalgia wave hitting me. It's so like on some level, I love it just because I remember it as a kid, but objectively I understand that these okay. might be the worst. You
1: mentioned, you mentioned the Mardi Gras parade and I was trying my best to remember what that was.
2: Was that at Disney world? Yeah. So the surprise celebration had a Mardi Gras theme, but it, it borrowed from the party Gras parade that had run in Disneyland. So like Disneyland had party Gras first. Yeah. I think, and then, it became the surprise celebration in in Magic Kingdom for Walt Disney World's 20th anniversary, uh, which happened to be uh, at the same time that the Prince and the the Pauper came to theaters, and Mickey was kind of like a a Mardi Gras looking king in that short, so it all kind of like worked together. But it's a very random theme for a parade.
1: On the Disneyland um, sing-along fun, uh, the sing-along video VHS Disneyland fun, the song called the Disneyland Afternoon Parade, the floats on that segment, I always remember seeing, were the the Mardi Gras, the large blow-up. Like, Roger Rabbit was one, and Mickey yeah. and Pluto and some others. And they were very tall um, yes. for and a Derek, Walt
2: Disney World parade. Derek, you will love that. Uh, I don't know if you... Well, no, you wouldn't have been there then. But So, this parade was running during the time that Disney had the fallout with Steven Spielberg, and everything with Roger Rabbit kind of dried up. So, they pulled Roger Rabbit out of the parade, and they replaced him with Max because a goofy movie had just been released to theaters. And I don't think they ever created um, a Max float. I think there just was no float where the Roger float had previously been. But when this lady's rapping, instead of interacting with Roger Rabbit, she started interacting with Max from a goofy movie.
0: Oh, that's awesome. It should have been Powerline, but that's awesome. I'll take it. Yeah. Cause he's like a singer,
2: you know? Right. That's
0: so funny. Mickey Mania. It's it's amazing to me how so many of these parades in the 80s and 90s had Mickey's name somewhere in the title or were focused on Mickey. And, and, I, and I wonder if the difference is when you get into the 90s, they have the Disney Renaissance. And now you can start focusing on other beloved characters like Beauty and the Beast and the Little Mermaid um, or yeah. just like, you know, just like your Disney canon at large. You can focus on that because it's more than just Mickey now.
1: Yes, and, and that is the case with. Um, and that reminds me to, to go back, obviously, to Spectro Magic briefly. We don't have to talk about it at length, but that's the nighttime parade that took the place of the Main Street Electrical Parade in 1992. I think Main Street Electrical Parade closes in 1991. I don't think that Spectro Magic started till 92.
0: We're not going to talk about Spectro Magic?
1: No, we are. I'm going to. Oh, okay. Just briefly, because it's kind of like, you know. Rehashing some of the same stuff in the Electrical Parade in my mind, nighttime lights and such. But we talked about M- Little Mermaid, you know, in the last parade and how she was in every parade after that, even Spectro Magic. Um, even at the time of Spectro Magic in 1991 and 1992, you, you didn't have, um, they weren't yet really playing into those other properties yet. So the only, like, okay, modern Disney animated film in that one represented is The Little Mermaid. Other than that, you know, they have a huge, random Fantasia section, Um, but other than that, most of the floats were just kind of independent, like, you know, Chippendale at the piano, which was, I think, Roger, oh, and then there was Genie conducting the orchestra, which was Roger Rabbit conducting the orchestra, and um, just kind of little elements like that, the random clown mime people on the balls floating around. Wait, help me out, was Beauty and the
0: Beast part of this parade? I don't think so, but, you know, it only opened in 91. I know, but Aladdin came out after Beauty and the Beast.
2: Right, but Genie's only there because of the Roger Rabbit fallout. So they pulled Roger Rabbit out and put Genie in his place. Yeah. (laughs) Put him in his place.
0: No, I I understand that, but I guess I'm just like, if you're going to go to the trouble to add a character, especially since Beauty and the Beast was such a hit when it came out, you'd think they would try to maybe throw in a quick float, but...
2: Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I've always loved about Spectrum Magic. It's probably my all-time favorite Disney parade is that it? it's decidedly non-promotional. I mean, the most recent property other than Genie was The Little Mermaid. And even with that, there's never a sense that they're trying to sell you on The Little Mermaid. I mean, so like, for example, the aerial sequence comes about in the middle of the parade. You know, There's first there's there's well, let me just say the whole the whole theme of the parade is that Mickey Mouse is... Uh, casting a spell, a spell that will cause us to remember this night forever, which I think is already a very sweet theme for a parade. Yeah. And at the beginning, you see him, he's got this crystal ball, and it's that like, what is that thing they had a lot in the 80s where you would wave your hands over a crystal balls? Yeah, the ball little pink
1: electrical it. thing.
2: Yeah, and you would see like little lightning bolts inside. It. And then from that, his cape had like lights um, blinking down it as if the electricity were flowing out of his body down his cape to power all the parade floats that would come behind him. And then you had these uh these distinct sequences that would follow. Like the first one was about music. And so it was as, as if like Mickey spells creating music for us to remember for the night. Uh, and that's where you get um like this metronome that, that introduces, as you said, Roger or Regini conducting and you've got Chip and Dell on dueling pianos. And then we go into nature and there are just there's float after float that aren't anything else. They're just like trees. And the idea that a, <laughs> that a parade would take this long to introduce the concept of nature. And then it's the the, the three sleeping beauty fairies. And they each get their own float, which is which is yeah. a crazy idea. And then nature continues into the Little Mermaid, but there's no rush to get to Ariel. It's like fish and little bubble floats and, and little King wave Triton, floats out. Right. Yeah, King Triton. And then we get to Ariel, but it's all in the context uh, of nature. And then we move into Fantasia, as you said, gets its own sequence, which Fantasia is one of the least commercially relevant properties. But what Fantasia is about is marrying music with visuals and nature. So it perfectly fits the theme of this parade. And then it just totally indulges itself in Fantasia float after float. You get this amazing uh, Chernobog. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, who, I mean, he just kind of like, I, mean, I think he made such an impression. He's almost scary, right? Like this turnabout, he was like, well, he was bald mountain at first and then he unfolded yeah, the comfort. Yeah. How how cool was that idea? Uh, and then that led to the three little pigs, which I thought was such a cool transition because they were a silly symphony. The silly symphonies were created as like, um, testing ground for Fantasia And then you have this, like, grand cavalcade of light-up Disney characters at the end. So the whole—and all of this themed around a waltz. Like, in the whole history of parades, musically, parades are usually marches. But Spectra Magic sort of turned that idea on its head, and it's themed around a waltz instead. uh, John Debney, who later did the score for Hocus Pocus, uh, arranged uh, this whole parade and composed its central theme on this magic night. Back to the Future, right? Uh, no, that is Zemeckis' is Back to the Future. But John dubney's done a lot of stuff. Most recently, he did the live-action Jungle Book for Disney. He's fantastic. Yes. Uh, but anyway, I mean, and I, I think just the idea of taking a nighttime parade in a setting that is as sentimental and as emotionally charged as Magic Kingdom and to build a parade around a waltz causes you to to bond with the parade on a very different level. And I think that probably explains why people have such fierce fiercely fond, like, Memories. It was
1: my childhood parade, like the Main Street Electrical Parade. Was there my first two or three visits? But by the time I was like, okay, I love Disney World. I love going to Disney World. Spectro Magic, and and listen, you need to go listen to the soundtrack from Spectro Magic. It's one of the best, bar none, best Disney world music that there is and there's a wonderful if you're into you know listening to different versions there's a wonderful piano uh, jazz version of this song that was on the 25th anniversary yeah. scene called Remember the Magic Chris I get my I get my pro wrestler and my jazz pianist mixed up uh, one is named Chris Benoit I think this guy's name was something Benoit B-E-N B-E-N-O-I-T okay look up jazz piano Spectrum Magic it's uh it's wonderful, But yeah, Spectrum Magic was was
0: great. The soundtrack is, for me, the best part about Spectrum Magic. Um, I mean, you said it's a wall, it's a, and I never even really put that together. Maybe that is why I love it. But it's just so unique from all the other parades. And you mentioned the Chernobog float. For me, that's the best moment musically, because it, it plays that night on Bald Mountain. Like, the, duh, 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 like it's really dramatic, but then it just so effortle- effortlessly... Transitions back into that sweeping score for Spectrum Magic. It's such a great piece how they incorporated all the different sounds and it just feels like one piece. It doesn't feel like a medley of different pieces. I love it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I will always remember, you know, when I first moved uh, to the Walt Disney World area, it was around the time that there was the big question as to whether and when Spectrum Magic was going to come back. And Disney was still saying, yes, yes, yes. And it became kind of a hobby for locals to drive it's backstage but it's accessible to the general public if you know where it is where they were storing the Spectrum Magic floats and it was so heartbreaking over the course of a year or so to see like that Turnabog float and several others literally just parked on the side of the road out in the open and just slowly dilapidating and then sure enough news eventually came that they were damaged by the elements the weather beyond repair and so the prey could not return and uh, it's just very sad
1: uh, the last parade in the 90s um, was a daytime parade that was introduced for the 25th anniversary in 1996 and ran for five years. So other than the Main Street Electrical Parade and Spectro Magic to this point, this is the longest running daytime parade that there has been at Walt Disney World. And it was called the Remember the Magic Parade, titled after the song, Remember the Magic which was the theme song for that you know twenty-fifth anniversary celebration in nineteen ninety-six when they turned the castle into a big pink birthday cake. And this was, in my humble opinion, the first of the modern full-fledged modern Disney daytime parades. In that there were seven full floats Dedicated to mostly independent properties, mostly like movies. Like there's a Lion King float, there was an Aladdin float, there was uh, this featured the big end uh, Welcome Back to the Mirror and the Glass float for the 25th anniversary. With the, there was a Beauty and the Beast section. Um, uh, uh, every single section also had a stop. There were. This was the first parade to kind of have that interactive feature where it would stop. And in the very early stages, when they were still really doing it, it would stop, there would be a song, and the characters would literally go out and welcome people to come out into the streets and to dance with them. So there was this kind of um, happy, dancey version of the theme song, which is itself kind of an emotional ballad, if you listen to the, the Brian McKnight version. Um, this is kind of a more upbeat, jazzy version of that song. Come out and dance for about you know two or three minutes, and then it would... You know, people would go back to their places, and the parade would kick up again. I'm guessing it had some safety issues, actually getting people to go sit back down and the parade to get moving again. So this kind of stopped, I think, after a few months. They featured it heavily in like the the vacation planning videos and stuff at that time, but I think it kind of went away uh, pretty quickly. But this is a long-lasting parade, seven floats, over 15 minutes long. Each float had its own score, there was a theme song, so really this kind of, in my mind, takes us into the modern era of we get a float with a new celebration, Uh, we get a parade with a new celebration, a new theme song, and it's centered around Disney movies and Disney properties that everybody recognizes and enjoys, and it lasts for a long time.
0: Yeah, was this the parade with like the dishes? From Beauty and the Beast, yeah, and the yeah. candlesticks and all that, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I also had a very tall genie um, balloon uh, that was kind of coming out of the lamp. Interesting. Uh, when I did one of our little, our, my first little backstage tour, when I turned sixteen, I think, so two thousand one, right before the parade stopped, um, they were talking about. It's the first time I'd ever like realized there's a different, you know, way of doing things for a, a rainy. Like if it starts raining during the parade. They would obviously stop doing some of the stops. The genie float would be shrunk down to just his head popping, <laughs> popping out of the lamp, um, and and the parade picks up by you know a few a few paces just to kind of hurry through. Today I think they have like a a separate whole character rainy day thing that happens when it rains. But that was interesting to see the abbreviated version of the parade, which we actually got to see
0: on a little trip that day remember the magic ran simultaneously with spectro magic right I assume yes that is true yes okay so really like two big long epic parades with you know floats that a lot of money were piped into these to have two like this was really the start for me looking back it looks like this was the start of just like the parade was a main feature of a Walt Disney World vacation because you were going to try to fit in two really big, pretty well done parades in one day.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And this was for the, the 25th anniversary special. So to me, this parade brings back instantly memories of the castle cake. Uh, It brings back memories of Full House, The House Meets the Mouse. I think this is the parade that, you know, like Michelle Tanner was in. Uh, It has that famous genie float, uh, the Lion King Pride Rock float. So, I mean, it was just around for such a long period of time. As you said, right there in the middle of the Disney Renaissance, um, it was the time when all the TGIF shows were going to the park. So I think for those reasons, just a lot of like the imagery of this parade is very famous. Mm hmm. And, of
0: course, that Brian McKnight, Remember the Magic, Who Can Forget. Yes. All right. Well, full disclosure to our listeners, Matt had to take off, um, but he got us all the way to the 2000s. Um, some some good stuff, but let's dive in to these last 17 years.
2: Well, the first uh, major new parade, uh, the 2000s, was Share a Dream Come True. Uh, which premiered October 1st, 2001, and it uh, commemorated two milestones for Walt for the Walt Disney Company uh, at the same time. One was the 30th anniversary of the Walt Disney World Resort, uh, and it was also the 100 Years of Magic Celebration, uh, which was celebrating 100 years since Walt Disney's birth. Uh, and so this parade, for that reason, opened with... Um, Walt Disney, if I recall, it's like a live actor playing Walt Disney, which I don't think we've ever seen any other time. And he was on some sort of like bicycle based float and he's sketching Mickey Mouse as the parade goes by. Was he looking in a mirror? Was it like that famous, that famous image of where Walt is looking in the mirror, but drawing Mickey as if Mickey is a reflection of himself?
0: Oh, was he looking? I can't picture the mirror, but you might be right. This was the first daytime parade I ever saw. Oh, I mean, like a later iteration of this parade.
2: Yeah and as we'll get to it's it's stuck around for so long that it's probably true for so many people that this was their their first parade um, I, one thing I loved is that uh, it had film reels. So like first it was Walt and then the thing that followed him that had the the share a dream come true title on it were, were moving film reels. Uh, I loved that. Uh, and then the original conceit for this parade is that each of the floats were snow globes. Uh, and so each snow globe were the, was themed to a movie. Like, I think there was a Pinocchio globe. Uh, there was one that was all villains. Uh, and then you could actually buy the snow globes uh, in the that corresponded to the parade. I have the villains when I always loved that float. And I think there were just like five of them to begin with. And then there was a big uh, princess slash castle slash fantasy themed uh, float at the end. I guess reaction to the snow globes was kind of mixed. Some people loved the idea. I was one of those people. I just thought it was a really cool concept. Uh, but some people didn't like that there was this barrier between the guest and the character, like glass or what looked to be glass in between. Uh, eventually though i guess just snow globes as a merchandise item fell out of favor uh, maybe because tsa banned them and you know you used to see see them all over walt disney world and now you almost never see a snow globe at all and i I really think it's probably because you can't take them on planes so tourists don't want to buy them uh and so anyway um this parade stuck around for year after year after year and it eventually uh was retitled Disney dreams come true parade. And at that point, the snow globes came off. So the floats were the same, uh, but by this point, the 100 years of magic celebration had ended. And so now it's, it's Disney dreams come true. Same idea uh, people started to think like, well, surely this is a temporary deal. Like usually by about now we're getting a new daytime parade. Uh, And yet year after year past, uh, 2009 comes around at this point, the parade has been running eight years. I think that already makes it easily the longest running Disney parade. Uh, but after eight years it doesn't end it just rethemes themes itself reinvents itself all over again and it becomes the celebrate a dream come true parade uh so called because it was tied in with the what will you celebrate marketing campaign of that year uh those film reels i mentioned earlier were dressed up as party favors instead and so instead of a, a walt movie theme parade it became a cele- like a disney celebration theme parade but still basically the same uh floats um one thing maybe we should mention that happened in the middle of its run is there was uh, this tragic incident where uh, just before the floats came into view on stage for guests, uh, uh, the a cast member who was friends with Tigger uh, had a collision with um, the finale float, the A Dream, Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes uh, float, and was killed. Uh, yeah and uh, I think that's the first time that had ever happened uh, and fortunately it didn't happen in view of guests but it did happen in view of all the cast members who you know knew this performer uh, and, w- and were friends with him and so it was just this terrible event I think the parade maybe had a couple of days where it didn't run and so some long lasting changes came about as a result of that incident uh, the float that was involved in the collision a dream is a wish your heart makes came out of the parade uh, and also show stops that had been a part of the parades for a while that that whole tradition ended uh, and they brought back the Ven- Venerable mirrored castle float uh to serve as the new finale instead and they just put all the characters on that and so this shorter version of the parade ran for a while eventually after enough time had passed uh, a modified version i guess a safer version of the a dream is a wish your heart makes float was put back into the parade the show stops came back um But then after, I think, 10 years into the parade, so at this point we're at 2010, 2011, uh, what had been a pretty long parade had been whittled down to seven minutes. The show stops came back out. The uh, Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes Float came back out, uh, and it was just over and done in a flash. And at this point, guest fatigue really started to become very pronounced. I mean, this same parade had been around for so long, for literally a, a generation of children who'd grown up with it. And just nothing new. It was getting shorter, and and just it started to feel a little lame. Uh, and uh, and and anyway, that's that's what we had for a very long time.
0: Yeah, I want to get back to the snow globes for a second. First of all, that merchandising is kind of genius. Like, if I went to Disneyland, and they had, I don't know, ten little figurines that were replicas of the Paint the Night Parade, you better believe I would have bought all ten of those, depending on the price, you know? I could recreate the Paint the Night Parade on my dresser or something. That's a really great idea.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Second of all, not only is there a barrier, so that would get old, but also, like, snow globes make me think of Christmas, and I don't want... I don't don't know, like, if I'm there in June, I'd be like,
2: why why is there snow? I'm so confused. (laughs) That's true. And I'm having, even though I saw this thing so many times, I'm having a hard time remembering now if it actually snowed within the globes or if, or if just the globe itself was there. Yeah.
0: They had to like lean over and throw confetti every few <laughs> minutes, <laughs> pick it up off the ground and do it again. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. This parade lasted, like you said, for a very, very long time. I always, it's funny you hear me hearing you say it was lame. I kind of always thought so, but I, I just thought it's because I'm not really a parade Person in general, especially not that parade. It was kind of okay to me. I thought maybe it stayed for so long because it was the first time that so much detail had been put into a parade. Like all these floats were well thought out, like the Walt drawing Mickey. But I mean, just hearing Matt talk about Remember the Magic, I know that's not true because that parade had some really great floats as well. So I don't know what it was about this parade that made Disney say, nope, this is the one. Let's keep it.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think part of it might have been. So, I mean, it premiered right after 9/11. You know, Walt Disney World took a big hit, like financially, uh, for a long time, for several years after that. On top of that, this was a this was a time period where there was a lot of budget cutting, cost cutting going on, just like company wide, and especially in parks and resorts. That isn't so much the case now, but I do wonder if maybe that was part of it. They were just saying, like, look, find a way to revitalize this parade and spend as little money on it as possible. And that's how we got stuck with it for so long, but but it did introduce something that that is still around today, which is the rainy day character cavalcade, which is a, an alternate version of the parade uh, that happens on rainy days. And I love this thing so much; like I look forward to a moderately rainy day uh, at 3 p.m. Uh, because it has its own soundtrack. It's they're delightful songs. Is that like what that like splish splash? How long will this rain last? And singing in the rain? Yes. And yeah, it's just it's it's great. It's really, um underappreciated probably, but
0: I agree with that. I've never seen it in person, but I actually
2: listen to that music quite a bit. Yeah, it's fantastic. And it still happens with the current daytime parade. The exact same Rainy Day Cavalcade. So before we get to, I guess, the the final current daytime parade, I'll just quickly mention that there were a number of special event and holiday parades uh, over the years. There was an Easter parade that was actually uh, broadcast on television annually for very many years. Uh, Of course, the Christmas parade is still broadcast in some shape or form. Uh, There have been one-off Christmas parades in Magic Kingdom going all the way back to the 70s. It became a regular feature in the mid-80s. The one that we know today, uh, Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas Time Parade, I think, um, got its start as the Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Parade in the 1990s, uh, and it recycled floats from the Pinocchio Parade in the early 80s uh and so there's been this kind of long tradition of of seasonal christmas parades and i think all of them have been just completely delightful uh the only one to use its its original theme, a theme all its own, a musical theme all its own, is the current one, uh, Once Upon a Christmas Time. Uh, but I love all those. There's also the uh, the Enchanted Adventures Parade at the Pirate and Princess Party, which was kind of a, a cobbling together of existing parades. It borrowed a lot from Mickey's Boo to You. And so we should also mention that there have been two major Halloween parades. Currently, it's Mickey's Boo to You. Prior to that, it was just the Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party um both i think fantastic parades as well Uh, did you have anything you wanted to say about any of those
0: no um yeah we didn't really plan on talking about those just because they're they're part of special events and we've talked about them before i mean we've raved about the boo to parade probably my favorite parade ever at walt disney world including spectrum magic um and honestly i really love the christmas parade i know the christmas party does not get as much hype as the halloween party but the parade itself i really enjoy i think it's got some great floats Uh, So, yeah, I think the reason they added parades to these parties is because what we've been talking about this whole episode, parades are such an important part to a Disney vacation, even hard ticket events like those. Absolutely.
2: Well, I guess that brings us to the current parade. Uh, I think maybe one of the all time great Disney parades. uh, And that is and, and the only parade currently running in Magic Kingdom. And that is Festival of Fantasy. Uh, Matt was talking about how in the 80s and 90s we started to get a lot more uh, elaborate float design, and that is true. But no parades uh, have featured floats that are as elaborate as what we find in Festival of Fantasy. It is such just a show-stopping extra- extravaganza of, of float design, um, 3D-printed costumes. Just every, it's just sensory overload. Uh, to me, this is what people expect or, or hope to find in a disney parade just like unimaginable like top to bottom larger than life celebration you know uh, i liken it to kind of like a, a gospel revival which just got this buoyant music that just sweeps you up in it and uh at the core of it all is this incredible maleficent steampunk float with um with the the wheel as her heart as if like the curse is heart i think it's such a clever touch it's just a very artful parade you could tell they really thought about uh narrative and and about the floats meaning something um like what can we convey with this float design artistically and and that's something that we necessarily hadn't necessarily seen in uh parades before so i just completely love it and i'm so proud of it
0: I completely agree. I don't love the soundtrack, to be honest with you. I think the soundtrack could be a little bit better. But I remember when they announced, or when they released some concept art for these floats, like the Tangled one was released pretty early on. I think the Maleficent one was as well. And I remember just looking at the concept art and thinking, like everything you you think you know about parade floats, like you think you've seen it all, this parade completely turned those ideas on their head. I mean, to have an actual dragon steampunk with wheels moving her. That actually breathes fire. Like, where have you seen that? That That's like a an attraction you'd wait in line to go see. But no, it's just going to be part of this parade that goes down the street. Uh, Captain Hook on the, the... I don't know what that... What is it? An anchor, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. With the rainbow over him. Like, who thinks of these things? You said the word artsy, I think. And that's exactly what this is. It's not a traditional parade almost in any way other than... There are floats and there's music, but everything else about it is just so unique to this specific parade.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the floats are so tall. I mean, they had to take the garland off of Main Street at Christmas because uh, it, the, the floats would knock it down. I mean, you can look from the top to the bottom of these things and there's lavish detail all the way up and down. Uh, you mentioned Hook swinging on that anchor. I also think of uh, Flynn Rider swinging back and forth. Just the whole thing's very kinetic. There's not just one moving part in each float. There are multiple moving parts. Uh, that Fantasyland uh, float at the end with like Dumbo and Pinocchio and everybody on. I mean, that looks like it. it it has as many moving parts as you would expect a ride to have. Uh, it's just really uh, incredible.
0: Yeah, and the the Lost Boys are always a fan favorite because yeah. they do such a good job of interacting with the guests, and, and they're just like rascals, you know? They, they're not worrying about waving at you and being nice. Like, they're just who they are, and I love that about it.
2: Yeah, the choreography too that they bring to the show is fantastic. Yeah, I think all of their modern parades have those little moments with these these great dancers. There's the grave diggers and booty You," and there's the 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 toy soldiers in the Christmas parade, and those are always uh, highlights. I think. Main Street Electrical Parade has uh, has the donkeys, you know, and um, yeah, it's it's great to see like traditional dance made a part uh, of a a modern parade too. I agree
0: yeah. Um, So that brings us to today. Now for a while when Festival of Fantasy came Main Street Electrical Parade was still running. When did Festival of Fantasy come? 2014?
2: Yes March 9th 2014.
0: So for a couple years those ran simultaneously. You had this brand new really great parade during the day and then you had probably the most well-known Disney parade of all time at night. So those two years I feel like were really big for the Disney parade. And there have been other years where they've been big, like it's always been a big thing to have a parade, but those two years especially for me were were just really big parade featured years like families wanted to make sure they saw both parades when they were in Magic Kingdom. But then 2016 came along. The announcement came that Main Street Electrical Parade would be leaving. It's been over a year And there is still no nighttime parade at Magic Kingdom. You know, I've gotten used to that at this point. I'm sure you have as well. You go way more often than I do. Festival of Fantasy still does run every day. I think twice a day. No, is that right? Twice a day?
2: Once a day. Usually.
0: Okay, okay. But that's it. I mean, and we haven't mentioned the other parks, but Animal Kingdom used to have a parade. It no longer does. Hollywood Studios used to have a parade in the early 2000s no longer does. So the only parade in all of Walt Disney World, besides special events, is the Festival of Fantasy Parade. So what does the future hold for parades at Magic Kingdom?
2: Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. I remember sort of predicting back uh, during the end of Celebrated Dream Come True Parade that parades as we knew them were being phased out because it had been whittled down from like 15 minutes to five minutes and it just seemed like parades are passe well just culturally we've kind of moved on where the youtube instant gratification generation uh and then they they debuted festival of fantasy and it's a big huge long parade so it's like okay well maybe parades are sticking around but then as you say we don't have a nighttime one now uh they have introduced little like sideline diversions to kind of make up for that you have move it shake it dance it celebrate it, play it, whatever all the verbs are, uh, which I don't really think of as a parade proper, but I guess it kind of fills that void a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, we, uh, should, we should have mentioned that, but yes.
2: that. Yeah, and there's there's the trolley parade. I guess you call it a parade or the trolley show. It's a little like a mini parade in the morning. So, you know, they have little things like that. But, uh, I mean, I honestly would be surprised if the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World comes and goes without a new nighttime parade at Magic Kingdom. But I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, that's what I keep thinking. But even then, like,
0: are they really going to wait that long? Like, the 50th seems... It seems like Disney is saving everything for the 50th. Like, they have all these big plans for Epcot. Um, I'm sure they have big plans for other parks. I know the Tron coaster, all this stuff. It seems like it's all going to be around the 50th. But are, can they wait that long for a nighttime parade?
2: Yeah, I don't know.
0: When was the, when, What's the longest we've ever gone without a nighttime parade since Main Street Electrical debuted?
2: And I guess, do you think it's like disappointing guests that it that there isn't one?
0: It does not disappoint me, but <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not the target audience for a nighttime parade. I don't know. It might.
2: It might. Yeah, because because uh, you were you, know, you were just saying how long has it been since we didn't have one, and so I'm just I'm just trying to think like if if that's what guests have always come to expect, and they show up and it's not there, I wonder if that strikes them as lame. I will say, from an operations perspective, it's hard to mind there not being a nighttime parade because entering main street was not fun for about three hours every night you know and and now it's not so bad uh and so from that perspective alone you don't have just the where you almost feel like it's a dangerous situation being on main street with that many people and i haven't felt that in a while and it's nice uh to not feel that but yeah i mean surely eventually we have to get one again
0: you would think and I agree with you and I know Matt would agree with you that from an operational standpoint it's like what a relief that we don't have to deal with these crowds because happily ever after is bad enough but it's just interesting to me that especially when you think of Disneyland right now they it's starting next year beginning of next year they'll have the paint the night parade in DCA they'll have the Pixar play parade in Disneyland and I'm assuming Spectrum or not Spectrum Magic um, Sensational is staying which means they'll have three parades when Disney has like one and a half,
2: or Walt Disney World has one and a half. Yeah, that's kind of crazy to think about when we have double the number of parks. Yeah. So,
0: I don't know. Um, This was super fun. Thank you so much for uh, doing all that research um, for for the parades, and uh, some of it I know you just already knew. But I I was so excited to talk about the parades because there's so much about them I don't know. All I know is that they're such an important part to Disney parks, and they have been ever since Disneyland opened. Um, so I, I do feel like the future holds something. But yeah, for right now, we know absolutely nothing.
2: Yeah, you know, it's amazing how much history in just, what, 45, 46 years, whatever, uh, how much history, just the parade alone as a topic entails as as we've seen just going through all these and there are still so many little tiny parades that we didn't even touch on uh, but it's absolutely fascinating and really a reflection of how much has changed just operationally at the parks looking at like the different ways that the parades would unfold on on main street over the years so it's uh it's a blast to look back on it and uh yeah we'll see what the future holds
0: that's right well here's what i want from listeners if you have a favorite parade that you remember seeing I want you to tell us. So comments at madchatters.net. You can find us on Twitter at Mad Chatters, Instagram at Mad Chatters. But if you have pictures of some of these old parades, some of these floats that we talked about, like if you have a picture of that sandwich float <laughs> from America on Parade, I want to see it. Uh, send those our way. You know, we'll retweet them. We'll send them out. We'll put them on social media, whatever. But I, I'm really fascinated to get some of those, you know, old Polaroid pictures um, fr- from our listeners who got to see these things in person because we talked about so many. And like you said, you know, some of these parades, we mentioned two or three floats, but there are a ton we didn't mention at all that are probably worth talking about. Um, but, as you know, it's already been two hours, so we don't have a lot of time to talk about that kind of stuff. But anyway, yeah, that's what I want to see. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate your input. Listeners, go find him, AaronWallaceOnline.com let's see twitter you're at aaron wallace
2: what else yeah that's pretty that's it you you can find every everything i do with those two things so that's easy enough just my name
0: there you go well always a pleasure to have you on the show we're all looking forward to seeing you in person next week
2: hey same here i can't wait and thanks again and thanks to all your listeners for uh you know listening to me and letting me chime in because this really was a lot of fun
0: oh good um listeners speaking of next week i have some Sad news, to report. Well, it might not be sad for you. It's very sad to us. We love doing the show. We love recording every week, getting together. Um, as you can tell, Jeremy got really busy with work this week. And of course, he's planning on going to Orlando next week, like I've mentioned. I am too. Um, it's just been a crazy week for all of us. As you see, Matt just had an emergency and had to leave. Uh, so it might not be a surprise that for the first time, we're going to skip a week of podcasting, and there will be no new show next week. We are really sad about it. We just could not make it work, no matter how hard we tried. And um, as much as we love doing this, we do have actual jobs that pay us money, and in this case, those had to come first. Unfortunately, um, but you know what? This episode was double the length of most of our episodes, so just take your time listening to it. Spread it out over, spread it out over two weeks. We'll be back in two weeks with a full trip report. We've got some fun things planned for the end of the year as well. Um, So hopefully you can survive. Um, Hopefully we'll survive. I don't know. A week without podcasting. Weird. But anyway, I'm going to wrap it up here. Thanks again to Aaron. Uh, Thanks again to you guys for tuning in. We will see you not next week, but the week after. And I know Jeremy would tell you to take a little time to find the magic in every day.
2: Is rocking with a mania that's hit the street with a brand new beat. Gosh, sounds like a party. Maybe I should bake a cake. <laughs> oh, Yo, yeah. oh, tempers, goofy. It's not that kind of party. It's a death jam, and we're invited to groove with the rest of the gang. That's right, Roger. My main man, Mickey Mouse, is busting fresh out of sight. He wants y'all to chill hard and bump the bump while the mania grooves your moves. Mickey Mania is taking control. <laughs> everybody (laughs) that was swell (laughs) wow i'm all tired out boy i had a great time it sure was fun wasn't
0: it ninny sure was i think mickey mania is the greatest don't you yeah
2: right frog! yay (laughs) oh boy thanks a lot everybody (laughs) i hope to see you again real soon